Pro Tools certificate program. Can you hear me okay, by the way? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. They have they have a Pro Tools certificate program, but half the kids use Reaper, though, because they just, they just like it better. It's just yeah. a, a quicker workflow form and everything. Yeah, the last time I used Pro Tools was Empowered. Yeah. One, I had a PC. Two, I had a M audio interface. Right. That's all they allowed you to use was Pro Tools Empowered for the M audio thing. Yeah. Very. Nine came out, and then you could use any interface that you wanted. Mm-hmm. But by that time, like, I think Pro Tools just kept getting more and more expensive. Oh yeah. Whatever they charge now, I, mean, I don't even want to think about what they charge now. Yeah, I think it's. I think they just want you just to pay twenty bucks a month for life or something like that. I think they just want you to subscribe forever to it. That's you know. All. You know. That's right. Kind of yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. But um. Yeah. So it, it's pretty interesting. I try to stay pretty basic. I use uh, Logic, and I used every version of GarageBand up before using Logic. So I trained myself for about ten years on GarageBand, every version, and. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I end up buying. Um, I, I went to a studio here in Clearwater, or, or um, I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. But um, I went to a studio up the county in Clearwater. It's called ClearTrack Studio, and they had all the all the bells and whistles, and all the all the um, the video and um, the social media that that you'd want a studio to have. And um, and it was so devastating after we recorded there because um, my wife and I were, were doing our our folk music duo there. Yeah, and and um, and just really just trying to record a nice acoustic space, you know, something that you'd be able to do very naturally because you're an acoustic guitar player, you you have ears for it, and I think that some it takes a special um, engineer to understand that, and um, and and so it was it was kind of unusual after it was all done. We were kind of um, it, it, it was we were kind of uh, jaded by the experience a little bit. I felt like they recorded the guitar the way that they were taught how to record a guitar or how they were told how a guitar should be recorded, which are, which is like, Oh, you know, 12th fret, 10, you know, a foot away kind of thing. But, um, you know, usually whenever those type of of rules are applied and even someone like Roger Hudson will even say, he'll, he'll say, well, as long as they just listen to where the guitar sounds the best in the room, you know, like, 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 like those are all great, um, ideas um you know the, the the 12 inches away and the xy exactly here and everything but when it comes down to it every room responds differently every guitar projects a little bit differently and depending on how much room and how much guitar you want you know i mean you, you know all these things but these are uh fundamental studio things that a lot of um i feel like a lot of kids in studio programs or students i should say um and, and studio programs they don't really get a chance to go to that large acoustic space and say okay we're going to record this today we're going to record a, a grand piano you know so so they're so used to lining in they're so used to all the things to plug in through and they're, they're, they're preamp crazy and vintage tube crazy and and microphone brand crazy and, and and i have to say that um most of that stuff is just really over the top i feel you know i feel like there's such a um i feel like um and, and the issue that um, with, with anything goes is that, you know, we, we can get a little gear obsessed and, and for some, for some reason we'll think that, that the drug that we need is that next piece of gear. Oh man, if I have that next piece of gear, I'll, I'll get where I need to go. And, um, and, and so, and, and so like, I kind of overshot the runway. I bought a bunch of universal audio stuff. I bought an Apollo eight. Uh, you know, we had, I wanted to have six inputs for some reason. And, um, yeah, a, for, a, uh, for one guitar, right? Right, right. For, you know, it's you know, it's overshot the runway, and I'm like, oh yeah, let me buy the Neve plug-in, and let me buy the Universal, the this and this and that. And, and when it comes down to it, I went to a friend's house that has a nice little clean setup, and, and and he's like, why do you care about 
tube preamps and all this stuff. He said, you're recording a, a clean acoustic guitar signal. He said, he said, you'll be surprised how much tube that you really um, don't want to hear in your sound before you want to add it in. He said, but once you record with it, it's done. It's set in there. It's crystallized in there. And if it sounds, you know, you, you know, so anyways, that was, uh, gave me some perspective. And it really, really teaches me that, that the ears are what the studio engineer needs to have. And how much are someone's ears valued at? More than the entire fifty million dollar studio, really. You know, I mean, right, yeah. you know, you know, Quincy Jones's ears, you know, whoever, you know, um, great ears. And and so and so that so that just kind of taught me a lot to, to not be so gear savvy. And you know, I don't need that vintage Neumann microphone. I can I can get a clean enough sounding microphone in a, in, a, in a nice enough space with a with a decent guitar. I don't need a double top guitar, and I don't need. $2,000 tuners on it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't need Versace shoes to go pick up my guitar with, you know, all, all these things, uh, become distractions. And I feel like we get really good at shopping for things. <laughs> you that's, know, that's half the fun of it, isn't it? Though? Right. Oh man. It's the catch, man. And it's like, I, it's I, almost, yeah. it's almost, you have more fun, uh, researching the gear versus oh, actually yeah. buying the gear. You know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and that's what I love about a lot of your uh, podcasts and a lot of your articles. Like you have a lot of gear, and and it's it's, it's great because like I don't I don't have the resources to go through all that gear or, or even the time to even figure out some of the patches you're doing. I'm like, man, that's really cool, you know. Uh, and and of course you're you're exploring that on a different level. You've you've really just uh, taken it in, you know. Towards a lot of us, you know, we we played um, electric guitar and collected guitars, um, and then and then with classical guitar, you either just get taken by it, and then maybe you even rebel against it. Or, or, or maybe you recover from heavy metal music and become a classical guitarist the rest of your life. There's, there's no real, uh, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no one path that makes it clear. Um, but, but everything can kind of become a wormhole as we find. And it's interesting because um, there, there's so many left turns that we can go on just in the career itself and picking our songs and what kind of venues, what kind of projects we want to uh, choose ourselves, uh, apply ourselves to, I should say. Yeah. And and so it's it's pretty interesting to see all the things, but but I feel like you know some of my older students that come in with man, I see some great guitars every week. I mean, I see a 1939 Gibson L5, and the next week I'll you know I'll I'll see a 1950s ES175, and and uh, and they're so into the hunt, you know, for the for the gear. And then, and then when it comes down to like, oh yeah, I just gotta get that one piece. And then my wife cuts me off, and then it gets cut off. I'm like, all right, man. Well, well, man, you got plenty of gear to play this stuff with in your lessons, you know. And they just want to talk about gear more, you know. So that's okay, you know, you know. And um, and and that's and that's fine. And um, and I definitely have moments of obsessing over it, but I I try to really uh, you know, stay stay a little more centered as time goes on. And 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 if you own a house and have kids, you obviously know that there's a lot of a there's there's a pecking order, you know. Right. So, okay. so, so anyways, but yeah, but, um, so yeah, so I, I started out, you know, playing electric guitar. I mean, I, I started out playing, you know, um, Zeppelin playing, um, uh, you know, like my mom said, if I played stairway to heaven, she'd buy me a 12 string, you know, like that oh, was cool. the gift, you know? That's so, fun. yeah, yeah. So, so like, you know, so that, you know, so, so she wasn't very good in me and, and, taming my, my craving. Cause she's like, Oh, well here, you know, like, let me try to get you a job at the office that I work at, you know, after school and you can come and help me clean the offices afterwards. And, and we'll just make that a new guitar fund for you. You know, so even though she's, she's a struggling parent, she still wanted me to have those options. And I thought that was kind of cool. And, um, and then, and, and then I would live in those guitar magazines, you know, guitar world. Um, it's out of print now guitar for the practicing musician. That was great. Yeah. 
guitar player has been around forever. Um, yeah. Guitar guitar player wasn't as fun though when I was a kid. You know, the fun articles were in like guitar for the practice musician. You know, like they had the the you know Steve Vai article and the John Petrucci article, and um, and every once in a while I'd, I'd come across this um, classical corner kind of thing. And and they'd say, oh, you know, like this this week we're going to take a look at nothing else matters, you know, and and, and they talk about how um, uh, and this particular columnist, his name is Robert Phillips. It's kind of funny. I teach some of his students now, um, oh, and good. actually, I, I actually played it as vowel renewal renewal service. But when I was ten years old, I was reading his articles and and, and guitar for the practicing musician, um, and I was learning new words. I was, you know, I'd always say, hey mom, you know, like what is this word? And she's like, well, sound it out equalization or whatever it was, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, and so I kind of formed a lot of my vocabulary on these guitar magazines, you know? And, um, and, my, and the longest words I, I learned at first were, were, were those technical uh, terms, you know? And so, and so I kept seeing Karkasi's name. I'd, I'd see uh, um, Karuli from time to time mentioned. Um, and, and then I'd always see, you know, and um, I'd always see references to Ingve Malmsteen and all the classical players. And I was pretty curious with that, um, but I but I have to say that 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 I um, you know I I was really just fixated on what I saw on on, on videos of bands playing, and and, and like like the, the first the first real like um, moment that I felt like I had an aha moment, my 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 big bang was um, I have I have an older sister that's uh, uh, six years older than I am. And, and so, so since there's a bit of a, of a, of a gap there, you know, like she, um, you know, she's, she's kind of a third parent to me in, in some ways, you know, especially since we had like a single parent household growing up. So she said, Hey, so there's going to be a package. And I was like eight, eight years old or so, eight or nine years old. I was nine years old. And she said, there's gonna be a package on the door. It's going to be really heavy, but put it inside. And, um, she said, and, and, and just don't open it. You know, they're my, they're, they're my records, Columbia house, 12 LPs for a penny. That was when it was LPs for a penny. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So, and man, 12 LPs are and heavy. What year was this? This would have been 1987. I was born yeah, in 1976. Yeah. Okay. So, so 1987, 12 LPs for, for a penny and LPs are about, they like fade off. They're about to drop off and never see them again. And we're about to see CDs and we're about to pay 25 bucks for them in like 1988 or 89. So anyways, so, um, so I, I opened the box up. I I can't help it. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, what's in this box. It's so heavy. I didn't really, you know, know, I was just like, this can't just be all records. I opened it up and, um, and I saw this, this album. Oh, and I, and I still have the, the book for it somewhere um i might i might have to grab another source for it but anyways maybe later anyway so, so anyway so there's this album and, and it's black and it and it has this crazy guy holding this other guy and this other guy is playing this polka dot flying v right it's randy Rhodes and ozzy osborne right. and um and i'm like wow what's this and, man my sister's listening to this what is this you know and so so i mean i go further man I, I start, I, I take off the wrap off the record and I, <laughs> and I, and I open it up and it just keeps folding out and it keeps opening. And, and I see all these cool pictures, cream colored, Les Paul, white flying V and, and the stage looks like a castle. And there's like, you know, all this stuff. And, and there's this really, um, articulate letter that, that Ozzy wrote to Randy, which he might've had a ghostwriter seeing his book, you know, reading his book, but anyways, no, no, right. um, but, uh, he was, a. Uh, uh, you know, he wrote this very endearing letter and said how young Randy was. And I was like, man, like what, 
I mean, I, I've got to hear the greatest guitar player in the world. Apparently, this guy's the greatest guitar player in the world. Apparently, yeah, um, according to this guy. So, so I go into my my sister's bedroom. Man, once again, like I could be killed for this. Going to my sister's bedroom. Just don't read and, her diary or anything, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. And so she had this. She had this. Uh, this record entertainment system. Okay. And, and it was something that came out like Sears Roebuck in the, in the, in the mid to late eighties. And you basically put it, put a record on it or a cassette tape. Um, it was right before CDs came out. So it's, and, and it had like these dance lights that would go, that would go on. So it was like, it was like you had your own like little, you could like dance in your bedroom and play, play a record or something. So, you know, it was, it was bizarre. Her and her girlfriends would go in there and play records really loud and they'd be singing the don't stop believing and journey and Bon Jovi stuff, you know, all the time. And, um, and so, man, I drop, I drop the needle, man. And I hear, you know, I hear crazy train. I'm like, what? You know I mean? Like I'm scared, but I'm also like, what? And I'm, but I'm also like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have opened any of this stuff. So this is, fits right with this moment of rebellion, you know? And man, and then, and then I listened all the way through to the end of the, to the end of that side or, or to the end of the album. And it comes up to that, to that really intimate little tracking of D that acoustic guitar piece. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it just, man, that was a, such an education for me, you know, and, 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 I, and I was a kid and I was, I was nine. Yeah. It was 1987. That album just came out. And, um, yeah, and man, Randy, it, Randy was classically trained. He was classically his, trained. His yeah. mom was a teacher. Yeah. 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 She, so the, the, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, um, I've been, you know, so I've lived with that music for years and, and like, you know, and, and I, I learned D you know, like when, whenever I was a kid, I don't know if I can remember all of it. And then it had all these beautiful voicings. I remember in it, it was kind of like a little Renaissance piece. He, he, he does little quotes of Bach. Like he does this little, you know, which, which everybody, which he does it like, um, but, but we all know this is, And then and some, somebody would say, oh, yeah, from Pick a Destiny, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, which is cool. But, you know, Bach Bray was awesome, you know, um, or Jethro Tull, you know. And, and so and so what's cool is that I, I started hearing all those little things in there. And then and then I also heard some cool little things like like his electric licks were also in there. Like he, he went like these great little pull off things he does, like the second position. You know, and it was just beautiful. And, and I and I thought, wow, if I can learn that, that would be pretty awesome. Now, no one knew what that song was and all that. And um, but then, but then I, you know, I was nine years old. It was time to learn guitar. So I, I went to the guitar store. My mom, you know, she was like I said before, a single parent. She got enough money to get a guitar up for me. And um, and so we went into the store and and they said, all right, well, he'll study with David. And and David's like, all right, here's the book everybody uses. It's the green or the blue Hal Leonard book, you know, uh, or Mel Bay book one. Oh yeah. And it. You know, and it has all those sparkling Stella, which is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. It's got, you know, the frolic or whatever. If you don't start um, with that book, you're not doing it right. Well, I'm telling you, man, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. And, and, and like, I'm, I'm such a nerd. Like, I'll go to like a used bookstore sale and, and, and I'll see like a, like an earlier version of it for like a, for like 50 cents. You know, that's like from like the 60s. I'm like, oh, I'm totally going to buy that Mel Bay book one. And, you know, and it has, it has all the 60s letters on it that, that look very psychedelic, you know, Mel Bay, you know, kind of thing. And uh, and so, you know, it's just, it's just really cool. And then, and then, you know, if I fast forward, uh, you know, nine or 10 years or, you know, when I'm 18, I'm um, I'm at this music store in, in, in 
outside of Tampa and Brandon, the suburbs outside of Tampa. And I'm, and I'm teaching Mel Bay book one and I'm teaching crazy train and I'm teaching, um, you know, sweet child of mine and all that stuff, all that stuff, all that great, all those great music store hits, you know? Um, and, um, and then I'm kind of, and, and then from that, t- from that moment on, I, I think I was kind of ruined because I was able to make a decent living at teaching. I, I was able to, uh, learn a lot of things by ear and, and scratch them down. And, um, so you were teaching other kids like at a young age or something or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it's kind of funny because a lot of my students, um, well, not a lot of my students, but, um, a lot of students that have kept um, up with me over the years, they were some of the first batch of students I had. And so some of them would have been seven when I was 16 or 17. In some cases, when I first, I, I think my first year was when I was 15, I started teaching kids in the neighborhood for like yeah. 10 bucks a half hour. And my mom's like 10, 10 bucks a half hour, Jimmy. She's like, she's like, you know, minimum wage is like $4. You know, this is like, this is like the early ni- 1992, you know? Yeah. And I said, yeah, mom. I said, but you know, you, you've been paying, you know, 1750 a half hour. I said, I've been doing this half my life now, you know, <laughs> you know, I was, I was so serious about it. And she's like, well, okay, I guess you can use the spare bedroom to teach your lessons out of. And, and that was cool. And I did that. And, and then when I could drive, I would drive from house to house to teach students. And, and, um, and then I was started taking my own guitar lessons at the, at the college. And then that's whenever, um, but that was triggered by another event, you know, and, um, and, and, and that was going to see, um, uh, the guitar trio and, oh, yeah. um, you know, and that was Aldi Miola, Pocket of Lucy and John McLaughlin. So, so yeah, so it, it was kind of, it's, it's been kind of an unusual winding road, um, as a, as a guitarist. I, I don't think anyone ever has the same straight trajectory, you know, unless they have a, um, you know, a parent that's, you know, heavily involved in the music industry, you know, but everyone else, you know, like someone says, Oh, like, like, like no one tells you how they make it. And it's like, well, that's, it's kind of an impossible thing almost because um, everyone's track to whatever level of success they they're trying to achieve is based on their own personal connections and the people that they know and, 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 and their own abilities and, you know, um, abilities of, of, of obtaining things and, and getting in. And, um, and if there was just a league that we signed up for to make it, you know, we, we would all be lined up to sign up for it. So we do all these things that we do that we try to, uh, say, well, well, maybe this will be the thing. It's, oh, well, no, that's it really wasn't the thing. Well, maybe this will be the thing that, you know, that's, that, that might not be the thing either. You know, so, so, so what happens is that as we go through, um, our, our careers, um, we can, we can take all these left turns being distracted or, or, or we're going to say, okay, well, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm, I'm working towards these goals and, um, and I'm just going to just, just do what I think is right to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I feel is like my own self-investment, my own, my own investment in myself. And, yeah. and, um, and so, and, and, and so what happened is that, um, I was, I was learning, I was, I was practicing these Randy Rhodes licks, um, fast forward on 15 years old or so. And I've got those first students and I'm, and I'm playing crazy train and eruption tapping and stuff and thinking I'm, you know, get, getting around it pretty well. And, <laughs> and, and by, and by, you know, you know, thinking I got it, you know, you know, thinking, oh man, you know, like this picking thing isn't too bad or whatever, you know, just being a cocky 15 year old. Cause, cause what do you have to really worry about at 15? I mean, first of all, first of all, hormonally, you're, you're like borderline a criminal, you know, horm- hormonally, you know, at that right. age. So, um, so it was pretty interesting to, uh, 
to, to, to channel all those feelings in, into music, um, and, and, and which I did, and which my friends did. And we formed our, our, our uh, metal band that performed and did a lot of things. We actually got a singer that was a few years older than us who was already experienced, and he got the gigs. And, and, and we would be playing in these clubs like the Brass Mug in Tampa, which is where Green Day played in 1993 before they got huge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I saw Marilyn Manson there. I snuck in when I was 16 in 1993. Um, and I saw Marilyn Manson singing in a death metal band there. He was this, and it was before he was Marilyn Manson. He was this, actually his actual name that I can't even remember. And, and the band, Ryan something. Yeah. Remember. And the band was something of the, of the, of the, of the lines of like a monstrosity or it was, it was one of those, da 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 you know, kind of metal long, long bands, uh, long band names. Um, if it was written nowadays, it'd be written in that font where you can't read anything, you know, or something. Um, but, but, you know, and, and so, um, and so that was the first place I ended up playing and, um, and, and it was playing with like a a rock band the first time, uh, that was, uh, you know, like like there was an older drummer that I was, I was recommended to. And the next time I played, I had, I had my own, my own band. It was guys mostly my age with our slightly older singer who was getting us gigs and um, and man, we probably played about ninety gigs that first year, and, and we we went to the studio and we recorded a, a you know an EP of you know four songs, yeah. And uh, and we and we went to Morris Sound Recording Studio, which is a big studio back then. It's where all the where all the big metal bands recorded. And in Tampa, we we have the uh, the pro, the privilege or distinction or whatever of uh, uh, being the death metal capital of music. So death metal has never been my music. But but we had a scene and a and a driving force for it for some reason and and and, uh, and it really took on and it became an international a global thing and you had bands from Brazil and from you know Scandinavia coming to Morristown to record and 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 that studio eventually got purchased by the um, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Oh, um, really? Yeah 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 they, they liked it so much I guess they just wanted us to buy it and stay there and and, and record from there. <laughs> And and they they have a great gig. They they work about two months a year, you know, uh, on the road. And outside of that, they're just recording and doing, you know, the other things that they do. Um, so so it was cool to be around all all those bands. It was cool to be around um, the surviving members of Nasty Savage, which was a big big metal band. That, that you know, they were all these bands were big in Europe. You know, of course, in Japan. And, um, and, uh, you know, like, like the spinal tap, you, you know, every, every spinal tap line applies to these bands too, I'm sure. Okay. And, um, and it was this cool, like, you know, playing for some of their rough metal fans that were older then, you know, that, that when I was 17 or 18 playing in scrawny kid, with, you know, dangly hair, you know, thrashing, um, I was I was playing this band thrashing for these really rough, nasty, savage fans in some cases that were like bikers that were like, you know, in their 30s. And they were just and, and I just remember it just being like, man, I I better keep thrashing and I better I better keep keep my guitar chugging along to keep these angry people happy, to keep these angry people still looking angry. You know, what kind, <laughs> and, of, what kind of setup did you have at this time? OK, so my so my first setup that, that I had, I, I had a. I saved up enough money from that little after work job that my mom helped me with um, to to uh, to buy a Les Paul standard Cherry Sunburst 1976 uh, um, uh, Cherry Sunburst. I was listening to the flyer for 500 bucks, and so that was 1992. 500 bucks, I bought that. And then the first amp I ended up buying was like an Ampeg VH140C. I had a Marshall Lead 100 MOSFET. You know, I was I was I was thinking that if I had the 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 brands that my heroes had or something, you know, and Paul Gilbert was an Ampeg carrier then, I think at that oh, yeah. time. 
And, um, but he had the tube one. I didn't realize that, you know, and everybody was using the ADA MP1 and everyone had a, had a Marshall JCM 800 and I couldn't afford a, a Marshall tube amp. So, um, so I had those. And then by the time I was in my original metal band, I'm like, man, I got to get tubes. I got to get tubes. And then, then my singer was like, Oh yeah, but you also want like a processor because he said, he's the guitar player in my old band. He had, he had this noise gate and, and man, he would cut off his chords and the drummer would grab a cymbal at the same time. And it was powerful. And he said, you should, you should find something with a noise gate so you can really get a lot of distortion. And I was like, cool, right on. So, so, um, so I bought, um, I, and, and, and it's funny because I, I see that you're, you're, you're a bit of a PV guy too. And so PV just launched a bunch of rack, um, gear that, that same year. And they had this thing called the, the Profex two, I believe is what it was. It even had like a, uh, where you can put like a, um, so some kind of memory device in it to capture memory. And, and then, and then also I had a PV classic series, 6060, uh, tube power amp split. And so I had that and I had my MIDI foot controller and, and man, and, and I was really able to, to, to create a, a, a large, you know, sonic kind of, uh, fabric of the band at times, you know, whenever I had the solos, some of the solos had the expression pedal features put in there. And so, yeah, so I was programming and I was doing a, a lot of, uh, user patching. And so that was cool. You know, all on an led screen that would and hurt your eyes. The, this was in the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is probably about 90, 94 now, 95. Okay. Yeah. About this time. Yeah. Yep. And so, and, and so, yeah, and, and, and then and we ended up getting, um, we lost our drummer and we ended up getting a, a, an, an even more virtuosic drummer, just like that was just passing through and he was great. And, um, and we ended up opening up for Overkill, which is a, which is a pretty big band, uh, but that time for us to open up for, they would have been one of those founding thrash bands. And what and, was and the name? What was the name of your band? Our band was called Schizogrin, like crazy smile. Schizogrin, and um, and people would always say, "Is it is it Schizogrin?" I was like, "No, it's not that. It's Schizogrin." You know, and and people always put a T in it. And I'm like, "No, it's schizo like schizophrenia, Schizogrin." You know, and me and the singer came up with it, and then and then we had an artist draw this really funny kind of emoji. Well, I guess we kind of invented the emoji. It looked like an emoji, you know, Schizogrin, right, and right. Uh, and everyone had this little thing on, on their cars. We had t-shirts made and it was like a happy face, but it was like wearing like sunglasses and had like this weird kind of like menacing kind of grin to it. You know, the most important thing that we have to know is, is there any music online anywhere that we can listen to? There, there, that there would is. Be great. That would okay. Be great. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, so there are, um, but there, there are definitely MP3s, and, and what I was thinking about doing is starting a Spotify page for Schizogrin just to just to do it, just to yeah. just to launch it out there. Totally. So, 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 anyways, I yeah, I'm up, sure. The, sign up for DistroKid or something, and just release some music and put some classical stuff out there. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so some of those songs have like a classical intro to them, and um, and, and then they they'd have like a kind of a Pantera style riff going on, you know, and um. And, and man, and, and like that band was awesome. I mean, we, we, we love that band, uh, the guys that were in it and, but we were all like 18 years old and it was kind of getting into where it's like, okay, well, so are you going to do this band or, 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 or are you going to get a job or are you going to go to college? What are you going to do? What are the That's guys? The ultimate your, question, right? Yeah. 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 What are the guys going to do? And of course the bass player, you know, like one of the, one of the girls that was hanging out with us ended up moving in with him in his bedroom at his mom's house. And his older brother's like, get out of my house. What's up? You know, get out of the house, you know, go, go, go be responsible, be your own man. And he's like, he's like, and, and he basically just said, all right, I'm going to leave. You know, and he's like, all right, I'm going to quit the band. I'm moving away to my other brother's house. And I'm like, okay. All right. And, um, so, 
so, so, so then it's like, so then the singer is like, well, we already lost our drummer. We replaced him. So I can talk to this guy. And, and I, and I'm just like, at that time I just got so exhausted. I'm just like, man, I said, I, I said, I, I, I think I'm done. Um, I said, cause I can just imagine that we're just going to just keep putting this bat together every time. And, and, um, and, and I, and, and I was starting to wanting to play more self-accompanied acoustic stuff. I was getting into, I was listening to all those great unplugged albums, Allison Chains unplugged, you know, oh, yeah. even, Nirvana. even Nirvana. Yeah. Nirvana unplugged. Man, Eric Clapton. Eric, oh my gosh. Come on. Massive, yes. massive, a massive, massive recording. And, and yeah. And like, like those recordings that I bought the CD and I bought, I bought the, you know, the, the Hal Leonard book, you know, that the, the note for note transcriptions. Probably. And man, I mean, I mean, like I, I love, I love every note of, 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 uh, of, of those, those, I think those four that we mentioned are probably the most incredible or those three or whatever. Those are, those are probably the most changing for me. So, so there was a lot of acoustic music that was coming out at that time. And so I was just kind of feeling more of that. And then, and then my, and then, and then the bass player, we would, we would um, meet up every once in a while and go to concerts like, because we were best friends we were seven years old and we still pick it up like, like we'd never, uh, you know, spend a, a day apart, even though it's every 10 years we'll talk. And, um, and he said, and, and basically like, like I would take him to a concert and, and I'd say, Hey man, you got to come back down to Tampa, man. I bought those tickets to go see Tool, you know? And I can also say I've seen three out of, three out of the whatever, five or six Tool tour, uh, tours. So, so I feel kind of privileged by that. And, um, and so, and, and then, and then, and then he'd buy tickets for a concert and we, and we go to that one, you know, so it was kind of cool. We were keeping our friendship going and we're still talking about music. He was, he was a great bass player, had a two handed approach that, that, that could work really well at times, had a great slap style, had a great Steve Harris style running, uh, kind of lines kind of things, um, steady, steady pulse anyways. Um, so he said, Hey, I've, I've got a concert for us to go to. He says it's a little bit different than anything we've we've seen. I'm like, I'm like, he said, but I think you're gonna like it. I said, yeah, who is it? He's like, Al Miola. He says, it's called the guitar trio. I was like, right on. man. so, so anyway, so we, so we, so we have to go across the skyway bridge to get over here to St. Pete. I was living in Tampa at the time and, and, and the skyway bridge goes so high over the, over the ocean. It's like, it's a scary bridge. If you look up <laughs> sky, if you look up skyway bridge, uh, history, it's crazy. Anyways, so, so, so I, so I come over here to this side, which is now like my, my kind of paradise that I live in now, um, our little sleepy coastal community here. And, um, and man, Mahaffey theater, red, beautiful red seats, beautiful theater. I'm like, this is the nicest place I've ever sat in. I've never seen musicians play in a room this nice kind of thing, you know, looking around. And, uh, and so Al D. Miller comes out or, um, John McLaughlin comes out first. And I'm like, yeah, man. So he comes out and he's got this nylon string guitar and he's got, he's got some kind of crazy pick that he's using with it. And, and, and he has, um, he has a MIDI controller and it's, and he steps on it and it's kind of holding out like some chord, like a kind of thing. And, and he does some kind of, he's something blindingly fast. I mean, like faster than, than I can imagine. And, um, and he's playing the whole time and he does some melody, but a lot of kind of shreddy kind of almost like an Indian flair, really exotic, right, right, yeah. real, real beautiful. I mean, kind of like, like totally beyond me, honestly, beyond me. And, um, and, and, and I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I've never seen anyone do that before. And then, so next was Al Demiola. I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, this is who he came to see. This is awesome. And, and he, and he's got a similar thing and he steps on it and does like some kind of African rhythm kind of patch and he starts doing some kind of really uh, crazy kind of strumming thing, percussive thing at first. And then he breaks into some kind of flamenco thing. And, um, 
And, and, and I, I mean, man, I was just pounding my palms together at the end of that. It was so good. I was just so, uh, I was like, man, that's who we came to see. Now here's that Spanish guy that no one's heard of. Okay. And it's pocket Lucy. And he walks on stage, he grabs his, he grabs his, his guitar. He pulls the microphone in front of it. And he just starts just playing some kind of tremolo thing. And I was like, yeah, whatever that is, I'll, <laughs> whatever, whatever I just saw, I, I want to do that. And I don't care how to do that. I don't even know what I'm going to, how you going to find it, but I'm not, like, I got to figure that out. So I, so I, I buy a pocket of Lucia CD. I bought their CD and then I bought one of his and I was like, man, I got to find someone to teach me how to play like this. And so I, I end up uh, going around to music stores and I said, Hey, um, uh, does your guitar teacher teach this kind of style? You know? And, and, and they said, Oh, our guitar teacher teaches all styles, you know? And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, cool, cool. I'm like, can you play this? And he's like, well, he's about to come out um, in between lessons. So maybe you can ask him, you know? And so, and, and so I would typically meet like the cool, like dude, you know, um, guitar, guitar teacher. That's probably a shredder, you know, probably a great musician in all respects, you know? And, and um, and, and I'd say, Hey man, um, and, 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 and they're always nice. Hey, what's up, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can teach you. I'm like, hey, well, can you, can you show me how to play this? Oh, I've, I've never heard of that before. Let's, let's take a listen to it. And then and these guys would listen to it, and they'd just be like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know where – I've never heard that before. And I'd say, yeah, they'd say, like, you need to go to college to learn how to do that or something. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I, I don't know where else you would find that. I thought, well, man, I guess I'm going to go to college then. Yeah, the, <laughs> so, average, the average Joe teacher at a local store, I mean, yeah, they're not yeah. doing tremolo type techniques. and Right, like right, right, right. So, so yeah, so, and I was trying to find it. And so I eventually found a guy, a flamenco player that was uh, actually literally here in St. Pete, and he's still playing, well, and, and, and he was still playing you know, up to last month, you know, every week at this, uh, this uh, um, downstairs flamenco uh, club that's that's underneath a, a a very top rated Spanish restaurant called Ceviche, and so and so and so you can go in there and see him play this ripping flamenco. And so you know, so back when I was you know, um, in, you know, eighteen years old, a lesson with him was fifty bucks for an hour, and that would have been like you know ninety bucks, you know. Oh, yeah. And so and so you know, so I would save up, and 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 he didn't write anything down. He's he's like, oh, the, the, his, his, his Spanish was uh, English was very broken up. He like. He'd say, hey, you made the, the rajiado. And he'd say, he'd say, rajiado. And he'd be like, rajiado. And I, and, I, and I almost couldn't even understand what he was saying. Um, I had to get used to it. And, and, then, and then he'd show me how, how he would fan out his fingers. And, um, and that was a bizarre technique to me. I, I had no idea how to do it. And, 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 and I paid $50 just to kind of just watch his hands, you know, the whole time. He's going, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, it took... It, because he's he's the kind of guy that says, oh, you just do it like this. Because he just that's how he learned. Um, and right. so, and so, and so, anyways, it was pretty unusual because uh, I was used to teachers that wrote things down, and so um, it was really hard to learn from him. But I did learn a little bit, and I learned a lot more about how to how to listen through um, accents to try to, to try to hear what people are trying to say. So it was it was a good cultural lesson for you know a, a cracker like me, you know, and so. Um, you know, from, from simple beginnings. And so anyway, so I ended up going to the college, um, Hillsborough community college here in, in Tampa or in Ebor city, right across the, the bay here. Yeah. And, um, and, and I saw John Demas guitar teacher and him, I opened the door six foot nine Greek guy. You know, I said, Hey, can you show me how to play like this? You know, I had the pocket of Lucia CD 
he's like, oh yeah, man, you've heard the right place. Come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll, we'll get you scheduled. He said, so, um, yeah. So, so just make, and, and then he told me what to buy. He said, buy the Segovia scales, diatonic major and minor scales, um, buy the Frederick node guitar playing book one. Um, and he said, he said, bring your metronome with, with you. And I was like, I was like, what? And he's like, you don't have a metronome. And he's like, ah, you know, they say, how have you been playing music all this time? You know? And I was like, I've always had a drummer, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, so, so I, so I had to get and he said footstool and two hours a day, or you're wasting my time. I'm like, okay, okay. I can do that. I can do that two hours a day. And so, you know, I, I, I remember just the first few lessons, I was devastated every, every week. I was just kind of like, I'd go in and I'd want to show him how, how fast I could play the tune. And he would say, you're not even doing it. You're, 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 you're just going through the motions. And I'm like, what, what am I not doing? You know? And, um, he, he taught me what practicing slow was, you know, he gave me Carcassi number seven, which, which, which I'm sure you did whenever you were um, over at MTSU. But, uh, and, and, and it's, and it's a piece where like, where like it was a, it starts with this little tremolo deal, this PAMI. And, and, and I, and, and I, and I probably had it for a week or two and I, and I was like, Oh man, I'll show him. And my hands bouncing. And he's, he's like, you're not. And, and then I was like, well, what am I not doing? And he said, you, you're, you're not practicing slow. I'm, I'm like, but the, but the piece says Allegro and I'm playing it at, probably at, at 100. He's like, he's like, you don't understand. That's not slow. You don't know what slow is. He said, slow is 50 beats per minute. And he had the, and he had this this metronome that was the scariest look. It was a scariest sounding metronome. It was it almost felt like it was like from like like the, the cold war, you know, this Franz metronome. Oh, and cool. so when I, so when I saw this at an antique store, I'm like, I'm going to buy this to remind me of my feared guitar lessons of my early college experience. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, um, and, and it has a great click to it. It's a fake light. So as long as I don't eat off of it, I'll be all right with it, but it has a great sounding click. And it's very pleasant to hear. I don't know how loud that is here. My, my earbuds are noise counseling, but, but, but it, he, yeah. Yeah, I bet. So, so yeah, so so he um he showed me that that slow wasn't or with my hand bouncing. He showed me slow was this. It was the hand was still and slow was going. And and, and I and I never knew that that could be slow. I, I thought, well, I mean, I should be able to play at that speed. Like 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 there was something. You know, are you sure? And he's like, no. He said, you want to play that slow so that you put those little spacers in when you have longer notes. And he said, he said, it's not a life sentence. He said, you just got to do it until, until it's, until you relax. And then, and then eventually I, you know, I, I, I took on to, but man, the, the culture of knowing what slow was just, just, just the idea of what slow was. And I asked him to play things slower all the time. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, and, and, then, and then whenever I break it down like that, they're like, you mean that's slow? Like, yeah, that's how slow you have to play. So, so it, it took some time just getting used to that. And, 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 and learning, I, I mean, you're learning technique. Yeah, playing it that slow. Oh, exactly, exactly. So you're learning muscle memory. You're learning all kinds of stuff that your your hands aren't used to doing at all. No, there's nothing natural about playing guitar. No, no, nothing. no. Exactly. There's nothing symmetrical about from one hand to the other. The, yeah. the roll. There's nothing symmetrical about how our bodies hold the guitar. And so it was. It was really. It was really an education for me. And, and I and I was dying to show him that I knew other things better. You know. You know. Which is, which is a classic thing. It's like I'm really not an idiot. You know, kind of thing. You know. And um, you, you know, I I can I can do all these things with my band. It, it, but, but he's like, you know. But after a while, he said, well. 
this is this is what this is what this is. You know, he said he said we all do other things. He said I'm Greek. I play bazooki in a. And he said he said I I scream out opa every Saturday at a Greek wedding. You know, right. he said he said and sometimes I'll I'll play a Greek wedding in the middle of Alabama. He said because we're the only Greek band who can play them. And he said he said I don't see my class was hard of those gigs. He said and he said and he said and, and and I and I didn't worry about winning over my class guitar teacher about how well I could play my SG. And I was like okay okay. Cool. Lesson learned. All right. Thank you. You know, taught me a little bit about just. just, yeah, just he understood. Or... He understood where you're coming from. You know? Exactly. Exactly. We, we all just want to rock deep down inside, right? Oh yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it was so cool. Like like one day after I went through his lessons, and I and I did recitals, and and, and I was finally um, where I was part of the veteran core of his students. You know, after a couple of years, and and. Uh, and this, and this one day he just shows me like, you know, he's like, he's like, Hey man, check out what I'm listening to. And he rolls down his window of his car and it's like, you know, it's like this Zeppelin twos blasting or whatever. He's like, man, I love Jimmy page, you know? And I thought, cool, man. He still listens to everything, you know, he still listens oh, yeah. to his, his music, you know? And so, and so it, it, it took me a while, you know, I think that as students, we think, um, whenever we're in this formal situation, formal education situation, we can often feel like we are, um, we, we, we often feel like we want to show the teacher what we know as well um, so that the teacher knows that, that, that we know stuff too, just, just, just so that we have a, a base. But then the teacher's like, well, I can't really entertain just letting, just letting your knowledge dictate what we do because then you wouldn't be learning anything, you know, which right. is understandable. And then also um, someone's like, oh, well, like, you know, like, I wonder why you can't do this or this or that in the guitar program and a music program, why you can't just do your own music. It's like, well, that's called a composition degree and a composition teacher will, you know, like, you know, you know, watch out for what you asked for. Cause I, I had to composite. I, I went through that little alley too. And I said, oh man, maybe I should do composition. And, you know, in my, my junior year, I said, hey, yeah, let me take a couple of composition classes. Then I really know how to really write the guitar really well. And the composition teacher was like, all right, I want you to write a, a three part, a three movement sonata for woodwinds i'm like oh, man and he's you don't like, even get to play your own instrument you know yeah yeah he's like he's like he's like and, and make sure that you have a you know the, the alto clef in there and i'm just like oh man you know so i'm just like moving lines i'm counting where middle c is i'm just like this isn't this isn't what i thought it was gonna be and then i said well you know what i'll do i'm gonna go to jazz band i'm gonna go to jazz band next semester it's college yeah. it's the buffet oh, and so i so I, I i take jazz band and the guy's like He's like, he's like, all right, man. So this is going to be like, uh, you're probably much going to stay on your first four strings. You don't want to get in the bass player's way. You don't want to go too far up the fretboard. You don't want to get in the pianist's way. He said, I just want you to comp Freddie Green stop. You know, kind of thing. And so I'm like, okay. So I start playing and I start comping and, and, and I, and I realize, oh, wow, this is, I'm the snare drum. I'm the percussion section. I'm like, well, how, when do I get to play like Joe Pass? You know, like, well, <laughs> Joe Pass is a solo, solo jazz player. You know, he's not playing with jazz big bands. There's not one big band Joe Pass recording. You know, you want to, you know, and I, and I thought, well, how do I get to that? And, and, and then, and then, and then somebody else said, well, you got to become Joe Pass. If you want to do like, be like Joe Pass, you got to learn tunes and, you know, and, play you know play for some you know um from from mobsters you know you know smoking cigars you know and say play Stella by starlight come on you know you know and play for your life that kind of stuff you know and so and and so i thought so 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 how do i ever get to this and then i realized oh oh wow if i really do want to play the most guitar i can 
in, in that academic situation, I really should take advantage of what, what my teachers are showing me, and which, which I was always a pretty good student in that in that regard. So, anyways, um, so so that was like what led up to me going to MTSU to, to you know to, to meeting you, and and it was it, it was pretty interesting because like you know all of a sudden by that by that senior year I was you know playing for that author Robert Phillips's uh, vowel renewal and. And, 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 I, and I had a gig playing at the, the Skya Renaissance Festival, which is a, um, the biggest, one of the best-funded uh, Renaissance festivals in the, in the country, which is kind of funny. Right. Um, yeah, and, were, and, you at, were you at like four years in Florida? Because like, I, I thought you were a grad student when you came to MTSU. Was oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so whenever I – yeah, so I, I just did a community college uh, AA at uh, Hillsborough Community College, and then, and then oh, I okay. finished my undergrad. Yeah, I finished my undergrad at Florida Southern College, which is in Lakeland, middle of Florida, and um, and, and that's where I studied with like my my community college's teachers, teacher kind of thing, you know, and um, and and then and then that was great because that because the teacher at Florida Southern College, uh, Mark Switzer, he was a, he was a great teacher, and um, and it's funny because if we fast forward uh, about eighteen years from there, he retires and says, hey. Um, Give Jimmy a call and see if he's around and available because I'd, I'd like for him to take over if, if, if you're interested in it. And, and so, and so my old theory teacher called me up and said, "Hey, please say yes." I'm like Miss Barche, and she's like, "Yeah." She said, "Please say yes." Doctor Switzer's retiring. Please, um, he, he wants you to take over the guitar program. And I thought, yeah, I'd be honored to do that. You know, so so that so that's kind of a nice a nice uh, you know 180 or you know everything comes back around kind of thing, and and so now I I feel like an old man whenever I talk to my students at Florida. I'm like, well, back when I went here in you know, 2000, you know, it's kind of funny because 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 that freshman was like, I was born in 2002, you know, kind of uh, yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, so like so half, it, of our, half of our students weren't even alive when we started playing guitar, you know. No, no, yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy, you know. And yeah. so, and so, it's it's really it's really a perspective changer, and um, and, and it's funny because you know, because like like along the way, you know, now I'm the college professor, and then, and then now I have the kids that are like, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, have you ever heard Pantera? And I'm like, yeah, man, this is old music you're talking about, you know. And he's like, he's like, oh, so, so, so you've heard Dimebag? I'm like. Yeah, man. I said, I said, yeah, that, that was my high school soundtrack, you know, you know, grunge was my high school soundtrack. I didn't like grunge at the time because, because I felt like the guitar playing wasn't as good. And that was until I heard like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. That guitar playing is real good, you know, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, so, so it was just kind of, it's kind of interesting how, how things come, come full circle. So yeah. So by the time I meet you, I've, I've, I've gone and I've played this, uh, this Renaissance festival. And, and, and I saw this lute player playing and he was amazing. And I was like, man, I, I got to follow that guy. And it was Billy Elverton. It was our, oh, our yeah. old teacher, you know, He's and <laughs> fantastic. And so Bill and Bill was playing and, and I thought, man, this guy, I mean, why isn't this guy famous? You know, but of course I'm thinking that I'm a classical guitar player looking at a lute player saying, why isn't this guy famous? And everybody's probably looking at me saying, <laughs> what world are you in? You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, so um, I, I go on after him, and I'm barely playing Renaissance music. I'm playing, you know, really this guitar. It's not even a Renaissance guitar. And um, and he said, "Hey man," he said, "I like your technique. Can you teach that?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "He said, so what are you doing? How old are you?" He said, "You look young. I couldn't grow any facial hair then, and yet quite yet." And I said, um, "I said, oh, I said, I'm, I'm 22." And he's like, "Oh, cool." He said, um, "He said, are you in college?" I said, "I said, I just graduated." He said, "Grades good?" I said, "They're okay, like 3.4 or something like that." Yeah, he's like, 
you know, it was all right. And he said, he said, well, hey, man, he said, I'd like to offer you a, um, a teaching assistantship at MCSU if you're up for it. He said, he said, if you can teach your technique, he said, I, I'd like to have you in, in the program. He said, he said, well, we have a lot of diverse players. And, and he said, and we have, you know, he said, I have, a, I have a couple of real virtuosos that are I'm working with. He said, and I think you'd be a good addition to it. And I thought, well, man, that's, I mean, that's a pretty easy audition. It already happened. And the offer came and, and everything. i.e. Salome Sandoval. Yeah. And Matt, amazing. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Matt Palmer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Matt and, Palmer, and, dude. Yeah, yeah. Shredder, I mean, shredding I, on the classical guitar. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, we had we had great players and um, you know, and, and talented composers and 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 just and just a great di- diverse uh, base of players that I really enjoyed. Um, and, and then I met. And, and what's funny is that um, before I left for for Nashville, um, when I'm just packing up, I'm I'm, I'm tidying up my my lessons. Um, you know, and, and here before I before packing up in 2001. And, and I have a student who's, who's uh, he wants to work on some some nylon string kind of tunes, and um, and, he's, and he had a, a Roger Hudson piece in, in a class in a fingerstyle guitar magazine. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I didn't even know Roger was there. And my first week over at MTSU, I ended up, uh, you, you know Bill's like, oh, and this is the this is the adjunct, this is Roger Hudson. I'm like, oh man, I've, I've already taught a couple of your pieces already, you know. And it was just kind of it was so bizarre, you know. And and, and then and then of course he if you really fast forward, really oh. Oh man, Roger was great, and and man, and, and I, I have to say, um, when when I finished my doctorate in 2009, I got a full time job, and um, in 2010 they said, hey, we need a second guitar teacher. Who would you like to have for a full time teacher? I said, man, let's see if Roger Hudson's available, and he still has that job. So I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad that I was able to Where reconnect with him. Where did you get um, your doctorate? Oh, 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 okay, yeah. So so yeah, so I so at, at MTSU, whenever I knew you, um, or I met you, I got my master. Uh, uh, in guitar performance. And then from there, I studied with, with, with Dr. Yelverton, Billy Yelverton's teacher, Bruce Holtzman over at Florida state. Hmm. And, um, and that was a whole different education for me there. That was the opposite of Nashville. Um, and in fact, yeah. that first, that first fall, I really felt it. I'm like, Oh, it, the leaves don't change. Oh yeah. I'm back in Florida, you know, kind of thing. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's hot. Oh, it's like, the summer just kept going. Yep. Back in Florida again. But, um, and, and, but that guitar program was very international. It was, um, there was, you know, Peruvian, English, um, Chinese, I mean, Cuban, there's every Brazilian, every walk of life in that guitar program. Well, what, about, uh, what was the thing that Roger ended up being a part the, of? Oh, Roger. Oh, the school there. Um, so yeah. So after I finished that, I, um, after I finished my doctorate in Florida state, I got hired at Manatee school for the arts. And that's okay. where I, I actually had Roger come in and, and, uh, and, and be a second teacher. Was that and in then, Tennessee though, or was that in Florida? No, no, it's in Florida. It's, it's down, it's down a little South of here. It's over, back over the skyway going South. You're saying the, he moved to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Roger's yeah. Roger's been in Florida since, uh, 2011. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. I know he taught he taught at Udawal, not Udawal. Uh, what was the other other school in like Georgia, um, Lagrange? Oh, and Austin P. And yeah, Austin P. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, Stanley he Austin right. P. And MTSU yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But he packed yeah. up and he moved to Florida. He did. He did. He okay, packed up his whole family. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and his and his kids uh, really flourished here, and, and he's doing really well. So yeah. And, and so Roger, he just wrote me a tune. It's called Old Florida. And so um, oh, cool. it it literally is just, just came into my inbox uh, this week. So I'm going to start uncovering it. It's got a little bit of ragtime in it. It's got a little bit mm-hmm. of a kind of a swinging kind of eights kind of feel to it. So 
I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that. And I'm, I'm really enjoying having friends that are composers and, yeah. um, and just, and just being able to have a personal connection uh, with well, one that. Thing, you know? Jimmy, one thing I'm noticing, like the, the voice is great, but the guitar comes through all glitchy. So huh. what I'm going to have you do is like, I know you do some uh, Instagram um, oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of stuff. So just like send me some video clips that I can like intertwine throughout yeah. the, uh, the interview here. Yeah, that'd be great. You actually play like really well. Sounds I good. Because I don't want a glitchy guitar sound. No, um, I understand. I appreciate that. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the guitar that you have right now. I mean, what what do we have here in front of us? Man, so the first thing I noticed about this guitar when I first saw it was this headstock shape. Oh, that's pretty. And um, and man, the tuners even have the same shape on them as well. Oh, so yeah. um, so this guitar, I heard this this luthier um, in one of my first master classes with the LA Guitar Quartet, and um, and Bill Kennengeiser, uh, who is actually the classic guitarist that you hear on Crossroads, the movie Crossroads. Um, he he actually um, was playing a guitar very similar to this, and and, and I, I remember just how big and full it sounded. It was a cedar top. Brazilian rosewood back and sides, big scale, 660, I believe. And, and it's um, a little wider, uh, 2.1 inches wide over here. Big frets. I had Joe Glazer in Nashville that put big old honking bass frets on it. And um, and so it's great because uh, with, with the frets, they're so high. Joe, Joe Glazer at uh, Corner Music? Absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 yeah. and, and Joe, yeah, he has the Pleck machine. It was an early Pleck um, job and, and man, like, you know, I, I really found that I, I just never, ever have to touch the fretboard, you know, at all. It's, I, I never feel any of the wood under my fingertips. It's just, it's all string and it's, um, and it was something really nice to get used to actually. I, I originally thought that if you played a scallop neck, it would feel very, um, would, you know, you would just feel the pressure of the string and it wouldn't be very comfortable. But actually, there's a lot of comfort in it, but maybe that's the nylon strings being kind of soft anyway. Um, right. And then I have a medium-tall frets on my Martin. I have a, I have a, I have a double O or a triple O 28 Martin as well. Um, and, and, they, and they both have – they both complement each other pretty nicely. The Martin's a 12-fret too, and so it's a very similar kind of scale. And so anyways, the, um, but this guitar has a very cello-like sound. The maker, he is, he's got a couple of little areas where he just kind of shows off his luthery a little bit. Okay. Um, and then something that I've been getting a lot of a lot of questions about is um, is my guitar strap. I, um, I I after I after I left college, I um, lost the footstool and, and 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 never found it again. No, I I got I got rid of it, and I and I and I had I had a clamping device that just put dents in my guitar. Yeah. I had I had suction cups that would pop off during the first passionate chord of a tune, and I thought, you know what really works for me is just a guitar strap. It's what I was used to. I'm also a tall guy, um, and it's um, and just having your leg up this high. I mean, you know, I would hobble off stage and <laughs> with a, a leg that was asleep, and it was pretty pretty dangerous. Um, but yeah, but but what I found is that I is, is I had the guitar straps kind of put put the same buttons, kind of like we're like Martin and Collins, but they're they're buttons, yeah. you know. That, yeah, and this is really, it's really yeah underside. It's very comfortable. I had a K and K pickup put into it. Um, oh. Just, just in case if I ever wanted to amplify it, and I have an external preamp. I don't want to put any batteries or latch anything inside because it'll just yeah, weigh it down. 
But um, but but I have I, to say I think though, something happens to an instrument when you start cutting holes in it and stuff. Yeah, and glue it's stuff to it. Yeah, oh just, yeah, it's just not good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't want to cut a big hole into it. So yeah, so so what happens though is that with the strap, I can I can play I can play standing up or sitting down, and sometimes I get tired of sitting down, and I'll just play standing up. Um, I used to follow my wife around the house, you know, talking and playing. And after a while she said, stop following the guitar, please. Just, just one minute. Stop following. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. okay stop. I'll get away from you. I'm sorry. Um, so, but yeah, but so do it's, you, it's do you ever put the guitar down. That's the question. Do you ever put it? Oh down? man, man. It's, it's it, right. Right. It's, it, it's pretty hard to, and, and it's, it's really, it's really funny. Cause I, you know, I, I wondered how, how I would age with this. I, I was wondering how, how I'd be at, you know, 40 years old, like I am now, you know, I, I was wondering, you know, if I would still have an interest for it and man, and I can, I, I still can't stop thinking about it. It's always this kind of, it's always echoing in my head. There's always a piece plan. It's like, it's like, it's like it never stops, you know, it's, um, and, and so I, I love that. And my, my interest does, you know, change. I mean, I, I don't want to just play the same hour of classical repertoire. I, I love Americana music. I love dad gad. I love Celtic, uh, guitar playing. I love, um, I love Travis picking, um, Doc Watson, deep river blues, stuff like that. I love that kind of music um, as well. I like singing and playing too. Um, you know, just kind of a, um, things that suit my, suit my range. And, um, and I've, I've, I've had moments where I've worked, you know, especially when I was in college where, um, Roger Hudson called it, he said, well, well, you had to go through your college cleansing stage where you didn't play electric guitar and you didn't listen to electric guitar and you, and you, and you really bathed in the culture of, uh, of classical guitar. And you, you might've even started drinking wine for the first time because you thought that's what people did that kind of music. <laughs> and probably realized that you didn't like wine after a while or something, you know? So anyways, um, so, so it, it was, you know, and, and I have to say that, yeah, like, you know, so I would say whenever you met me, I was probably in, in, in my most intense, um, classical mode because I was really just so hungry for every ounce of it. And, and I'm right. still pretty hungry for it, but, but of course, you know, like we all, we all get a little, we all feel like our, um, like our, we're like down the line as we start hearing every young virtuoso come out and say, well, well, that guy's going to have a great career. Well, that guy's great. This person's great. This girl's wonderful. She's beautiful and great. I can't compete with that. You know, and, and you'll just see all these, all these great players. And then after a while you realize, Oh wait, well, it doesn't invalidate my skill or my level. I, I have my own thing that I do with this and, yeah. and, 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 and maybe I should just celebrate that and, and not worry about a race that doesn't exist or that no one's paying attention to, you know? So so it's it's pretty interesting how how we are as musicians, and also a bigger, I guess, a topic or or issue or musicianism is that we uh, often think that the kind of music we're into represents ninety eight percent of all music, and then everything else is two percent. You know, like right. I know some blues musicians that you know we have a really thriving blues scene down here. We have we have a, a Suncoast Blues Society that has like six hundred members. Anytime a anytime a blues band plays somewhere here, they have like hundreds of people that come out, and um and and then and then I and then I hear the blues guitar players you know talk to each other. I have a cousin who's, who's really really good. He plays in the Betty Fox band, um and, and anyways he's a, he's a he's a crazy good guitar player. He's kind of like Danny Gatton if you've heard of that guy. He's, he's just got this this crazy technique. Steve Ray Vaughan, Danny Gatton just just fingers for days, you know, and um. And he's a he's a great player, and he's around a 
very high level international group of blues players. And I'm kind of lucky to be able to be able to sit in with those guys and just talk to them, not, not play guitar with them. They, they see me as a different entity. He's a classical guitar player, you know, even though I'll happily play blues with them, but they don't want to hear my blues. So it's all right. There, so. right. And, um, and, 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 but, but, but I'll, but I'll, but I'll hear them play or, or I'll, I'll not hear them play. They're great players, but I'll, I'll hear them talk about other blues players and, and, there, and there's a little bit of the arm crossing. There's a little bit of the, oh, yeah, those, those guys over there do, do this, and they're not really blues, and we're really blues. And, and every once in a while, I'm just thinking, like, you guys are yuppies. You don't, you're not really the blues. You guys are a bunch of white dudes playing the blues. You know? so this like, is this interesting. Is let, me, let me ask you something. Yeah. With, a, with your classical mind, yeah. what, what do you think about when you play blues? Uh, do you yeah. think like more like BB King style? Do you do like Albert, Albert, like yeah. any of the Kings? And, you know, like what do you what do you think about when you when you play blues? Yeah, well, well, BB King is a, he's a he's a big he's a big one because um, okay. what I think what I think about um, and, and it took me a, a, a moment to think about it. It took me a moment to come around to it because I, I think that's how we all are. It's all cumulative anyway. But um, but like like my earliest approach to blues was like Jimmy Page. Those were all I, I remember. Oh. This is another pivotal point in my in my in my training. Fifteen years old, guitar for the practicing musician. The very back, it would say, "Little classifieds." The back, and it would say, 16 years old, looking for musicians for a speed metal band." And then the next one would say, "Hey, do you want to learn the the, the greatest licks of Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, and Eric Clapton? Send fifteen dollars in an envelope to to." to James Pamplin and he'll send you his booklet 50, 50 hot licks. And so 15 bucks in an envelope, 22 cent stamp. That's what they were about then. Yeah. Send it off. Yeah. Weeks later, this big stapled packet comes in the big staple on it. Flip dog ear every page. And it's, and it's every, and it starts with that, with that, you know, fifth position pentatonic thing that we all know. Right. Oh, yeah. And then it just, and it goes into all the different kind of burning kind of variations of it. And I remember thinking, Oh wow, this is cool. You know? So I learned all those licks and it said, Oh, this lick is in the style of, uh, you know, of Jeff Beck. And then I'm like, Oh cool. Well, let me learn that. Let me see what that is. This lick is in the style of Jimi Hendrix, you know? And so, so I was good at reading the tab and, 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 and so I was reading music for about six years by then. Um, I was still kind of looking up at the, at the notation too, in the tab, you know, I wasn't just relying on that. Um, which, which, which I'm glad I, you know, reading music is a cumulative thing. You know, I feel, you know, it takes you a, a, a long time just to be able to look at it and have a physical reaction to what you see. Um, and so, and so anyways, that was my first introduction to it. So, so all the first blues I played was like, you know, it was like, it was like Jimmy, it was like Jimmy Page rock and roll, you know, kind of song or whatever rock blues. But then as I, started studying it and i started really like you know listening intently to the blues um there was a moment that when i was getting my doctorate i started having um i started celebrating every recital with with um buying myself an electric guitar (laughs) and so and so i (laughs) yeah 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 i said i said so my gift to my first doctor recital will be a gibson karina flying v boom got it my 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 gift to my second doctor recital is a gibson gold tone ga30 amplifier boom got it you know and so i just kind of did that when i turn in this paper i'm gonna buy a telecaster got it you know and and i was and i was and i was single and i and i had a couple scholarships coming in i had some students and and a gig would come up and if if i said oh man i wasn't expecting that gig that would be my stratocaster right there you know and i was just buying gear um 
And, and what I was doing though is that I was listening to a lot of blues. I, um, so so um, I was buying the gear, and then I was starting to learn about the wattage of my amplifiers and their their application. So I ended up buying a Top Hat five watt amp. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I got I got like a 1960 Vox student amp that was three watts. It had like car stereo tubes in it. They're like tiny little guys. And like a weird shaped speaker. It sounded awesome. Being a five it, watt it, amp, I mean, it's it's not going to have any headroom at all. Like you turn no. it up, it's just dirty, oh. nasty, gritty. It was whatever. great. Yeah. Oh, it was so great. Yeah, and, and if, I, if I was putting my Telecaster or my Strat into it, I could just get all these things. The Gibson always felt like the Gibsons were always a little too heavy-handed for them. They'd always drive them way too early, but that's just Gibsons anyway. Oh yeah, um, the pickup's a lot hotter. Just, just pushing them way in, yeah. So, so I, I really felt like the the Strat and the Tele started seeing my blues later on. My teenage blues was all. I mean, I, I might as well have been you know Les Paul Marshall, big fat sound. And then I would say that as I got older, that the blues became um, more Fendery sounding, cleaner. And I was listening to more blues. I was listening to blues songs. And what I what I what I learned and what I what I what I do now when I play blues and when I solo to blues now is I is I try to think of lyrics and phrases. I actually use a little bit of funny enough to use the term solfege. Um, but I'm but I'm not I'm not singing do re, do re mi la, you know I'm not I'm not going I'm not going do re mi fa so la ti do re mi you know I'm not doing that but but I, I might I might go. I might go, and a one, and a two, and a, a three, and a four, and two, and three, and nine. you know. So I'm kind of th- you know kind of thinking almost rhythmically and, yeah. and, and almost like a, a conversational style blues. And then and then if I want to seal something off, I might put a little quick look at the end or something, or or maybe not. You know, and 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 every once in a while I'll try to break break my form and maybe not in on a fast little lick or something. You know, maybe in on you know something you know more subtle, and. Um, and I guess my blues has gotten a little jazzier now. I like a lot of intervals. I like thirds and sixes, and I like little resolving things. Um, and, and then, and of course, uh, most of the blues I play these days are all finger-style blues, Travis picking, um, self-accompanied kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and and, um, and that, that seems to be a little bit different, though, because you're holding down the bass end of things, and you're, you know, you're kind of playing more in a ragtime kind of style. But... Um, so, so I'm exploring a lot of the Florida blues players like Blind Blake and Tampa Red. Um, th- those are great um, for my own, just just for my own benefit. I'm trying to get closer to my roots in that kind of way. Um, and something else that something else that led me to that though is that when I was getting my doctorate, I was really realizing that um, my colleagues all had um, they they were all researching topics that were very directly related to them. So my Peruvian friend, he was studying um, a Peruvian guitar composer. My Brazilian friend, well, hey, he had Bill Lobos. He had all kind of great stuff to choose from, Assad's, all that stuff. My English friend, well, he had all the lute music of, the, of Dowland and everything and all the English stuff, you know, uh, to choose from. And, and it kind of left me feeling like, like how I felt in some of those competitions, you know. And, and in some of those competitions, I, I felt like I would – uh, you know, after a while, I kind of felt like I was a patron. I was like, man, I'm, I'm making it to the finals. And, and Bill was great, by the way. When I was at MTSU, he, he joined society so I could do the competition. And I won oh, some cool. when I was there. And, and, I mean, he was a very supportive teacher in that, in that, in that way. And so I, I definitely have to give him a little bit of a thank you and some props for doing those things for me. Okay. Um, 
And then, and, and so that, that was very formative. And then, and then outside of that, whenever I go to the larger competitions, I'd often make it to the, to the semis, you know, uh, to use the big Lebowski expression, I'd always roll my way into the semis, you know, but, um, but, um, and then, and then sometimes I'll, and then I'll, I would ask the, uh, the judges, I'd, I'd say, Hey, you know, like how, you know, if I, if I didn't make the finals, I'd say, why didn't I make you know the final or if, or if I didn't win first prize, I'd say, Oh, like, you know, how come, how come I didn't win? Which, which I, I could understand why. I mean, you go to these competitions, everyone's great. You know? oh, and, okay. um, and, and, and I would hear things like, um, Oh, well the, you know, the guy that won, now he's a Russian playing Koshkin. He's like, you're not, you're not going to get any more Russian than that. I was like, oh, and then I and I go to another conversation. I'm, like, I'm like, hey, well, you know, what can I have done to to do better? They said, well, the winner was an Italian playing Giuliani. You're not going to get more Italian than that. And I'm thinking, how can I win at this game? I'm American. What what is classical guitar about? I'm being American. What is American about classical guitar? And um, man, did that really put me on a search? And it and it and it led me down a a nice rabbit hole that that be, began uh, helping me really reestablish my identity as a player. And that was I found the first significant guitar method published in America, and and it was published by a very unlikely candidate and a very unlikely source at a very unlikely time, and um, and so once again in Bill's office while I was a grad assistant I had a key to the office I had a, the whole the whole archive the whole file cabinet and I had a chance to look through all Bill's books and find music and stuff and he said yeah just you know go down make copies of it and just put the originals back I don't you know care what you you know. You know, just as long as you put everything back, I'm okay. So, so I would I would go through his man. I, I copied everything in that in that cabinet. But anyways, um, and and um, I uh, saw this Pioneers of American Guitar anthology, and it had and it had um, guitarists from America from the 19th century, early 19th century. And I thought, well, that's cool, because um, America became American, you know, 1776. I'm like, so early early 19th century. We're we're looking at some pretty good chance that we'll, we'll, we'll have an early one there an early an early method there so anyways we found i found this guy justin holland and i say an unlikely candidate at an unlikely time um because he was black and he was um he was born uh pre-civil war um to a free black family in norfolk virginia and he went and, and as I read his biography, he went to Boston and studied classical guitar with this guy, the Spanish guitarist Mariano Perez. And from Boston, um, he decided to go to Oberlin College because they were one of the few colleges that accepted black students. And um, and he was accepted as a guitar performance major. That's right. And and he studied guitar. And and um, and back then, as you know, probably from knowing about old acoustic guitars, um, especially like Martin, they would often make guitars that were stamped by the music store. And you'd see like the music store name instead of the maker, the luthier. Um, and so there's this big one up there in Oberlin in Ohio. It's called Brainard and Sons, like Brainard and Sons. And so Justin Holland walks in there one day. He wants to get some things published. And this is kind of what makes him my hero. Is that he, he goes into and he sees old man Brainard. Old man Brainard's in the back and he won't turn his he won't turn around to even say hi or or even say, you know, how are you doing? Can I help you get out anything? Right. And uh, he was just ignored, you know, but it was like the 1870s. It was literally during the Civil War right now. Um, and so and so he um, he goes home and he says, All right, well then I'm I'm gonna mail him the arrangement that I wanted him to see if he'd publish and see if he'll publish it. Um, old man Brainerd gets the arrangement in the mail and says, oh, man, please send, send, send as many as you have. Justin Holland 
gets published 600 times in that decade and that third and that, you know, um, in, in the 1870s. So, so Justin Holland becomes what is what some believe is he was the first professional musician in America um, by, by some regards because he did music solely as a profession and it wasn't, it, it wasn't what he did at the end of the day like, like most musicians did at that time because he had limited resources. Pretty cool, you know. So, so I found his method, one of 500, and it was listed on eBay um, the last year of my doctorate. On my birthday, and I said, "This is I am going to buy this method. I don't care how much it is. I will buy it. This is this is my research. This is this is I, I can republish this. I can." Do you, this, remember, this do you remember how much it was? Well, I proxy bidded it up to ah. six hundred dollars. Okay, wow. it sold for sixty-five. Yes. <laughs> so 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 yeah so so yeah yeah because because my uh, my wife my then girlfriend she's like uh, she said um, she said. So how much are you willing to bid for? I said six hundred dollars. She said really, and I said yeah. I said well, this is my this is my research. This is my doctoral. This is this is my um, significant source for, for my for my research. I said I said this will this will give me every green light to get to get my treatise done now to get my my, my doctoral document done. Yeah. And so and so what I and so what I was able to do is I was able to do a paper on the significance of of this method. It was a, almost two hundred pages. It had. Um, Basically, since there wasn't really a copyright law in the 19th century, um, you had a lot of copies. Poor Carulli, that poor Ferdinando Carulli, he got ripped off the most. He had he had like the first method, and then whenever Carcassi's method came out, and Soar's method came out, and Aguado's method came out, they all stole his archetype. They even like sometimes they would even like recycle some of his preludes and just put them in as, as their own. And Justin Holland did the same thing. It wasn't really like, it wasn't necessarily an insensitive thing to do back then. It was a pretty standardized thing to do, which is why they eventually created a law to prevent it, you know, because it was so widely done. And, and it's like, who's intellectual property? That the, is the term, you know, so interesting. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so that led me down a path and, and man, and, and he was, he spoke five languages. So he would go to Haiti and he would speak to, uh, Haitians about about um, about about African um, African American uh, rights and about and about education and such and even though there was a lack of rights at that time because it was well it was well, well the abolishment of slavery was um, he was able to go with Frederick Douglass and, and basically tell everyone hey you're free now don't 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 allow yourself to be kidnapped and don't let anyone kidnap you you know don't let anyone steal your children anymore you know like there's there's old spirituals called wade in the water about about black families telling their, their children to wade in the water and to hide under the water, and you know, so they don't get stolen from them, you know, and so they don't, you know, so, hey, you, you know yeah, the water. what, yeah, wade oh, in yeah. the water, children, children. Oh, dude, oh, yeah. that come makes on, turtle sense now, <laughs> right? Now, I will say that that some of those spirituals, I'll, I will borrow some of my some of my blues licks from from those little da 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 da, you know, because oh, yeah. like. So, so what I learned is that, um, you know, as, as a long way of wrapping up that, that, that blues approach question is that, is that what I learned is that we really have to try to mimic the sound of the human voice and um, to, to be lyrical, which <laughs> go figure, right? But, but, but it really does make us have to, you know, try to think about, you know, um, how, how that functions. And I think, that, I think of B.B. King's playing. Um, he approaches his solos almost like a trumpet player, you know, does, you know, and, and uh, and, and he's, he's like, you know, he's not, he's not laid back like Miles Davis, um, 
where he plays behind the beat, he's, he kind of stings it, you know, but he's not as virtuosic as like a Charlie Parker, but he, but, but his approach to the music is very, is, is very intense like, like that at times, especially younger BB. Gosh, he was so good, you know, cool. you know, so yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, I really do love that. Um, I love, I love the fact that, that, that blues is improvisational. I love improvisational music. And, um, and I, and I, and I love to try to, keep keep some elements of even being a classical guitar player improvisational i think that the ability to noodle is an amazing ability the noodling ability to play around a chord to do the um the dave rawlings kind of thing of chromatically wrapping around a chord you know in chord tones i think it's a very attractive way of playing uh kenneth pattingale from the milk carton kids i love his approach to lead playing he's very textural um he plays across the guitar very beautiful beautifully and um so yeah there's just so much music out there you know um and, and i and i really enjoy i really enjoy um your band as well I, I gotta say that that song that that um murder bell that you guys have on soundcloud was fan- man it's fantastic um that, that that you guys captured that 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 great rock and roll sound just that great like straight rock and roll sound and Okay. And, and I and, and I remember hearing that, and, and I probably listened to it like that same song like ten times that day. I was like, man, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like it's like the Black Crows or better, you know. It's just so so good, you know. So, anyways, um, awesome. I and, and, and well, I that has a lot to do with the the singer and also songwriter Dan Fenton. He's he's just one of the best I know. He's great. So yeah, yeah, and and, and your and your and your guitar playing is always was always very you know when I when I every time I hear it, it's very tasteful you know very um uh you know I'm, it's very enjoyable to hear you know well well chosen notes nice n- nice um uh, conviction and your phrasing yeah. and everything so I, I, I enjoy that, that. yeah well, let, let me I'm gonna uh, steer us toward the end here but yeah. I want to I want to talk about because because my journey through um. Like, you know, I did, I did jazz guitar at a community college and I came to MTSU and studied classical. Yeah. I was still studying classical at, at, uh, at the community college as well, but it was mostly jazz because I got a scholarship to play jazz guitar for two years. Nice. Like, right. Wow. So it pays for my, you know, my schooling and whatever else. And that's awesome. That was great. But my issue, and we can, this is where my question is to you. My issue has always been my nails. Yeah. And with me and, and fingerstyle guitar, like I can't keep the nail either strong enough or shaped properly to just keep it going long enough to like really sustain a good practice regimen. So talk about your nails a little bit as a classical guitar player. And yeah. How important they are to you and what you do and just kind of the things you go, you have to go through on a maybe daily basis to make sure they're snuff. Yeah, daily basis. That that's that's really where you where you nailed it. Um, and every teacher I had had hold a them up a little bit. Let me, let, oh yeah, let's see your nails there. Yeah. And every teach every teacher I had did my nails and and told me the way to do them. And so basically, what we're looking at is like it's kind of like a new moon that's kind of slanted over. Mm-hmm. And Scott Scott Tennant calls it a ramp. And, and basically, the, the string the, the placement of the string is right where the flesh and nail come together. And then whenever I apply pressure, the nail makes contact with the string like that. Ah, okay. And so, and so, and so I try to play 
from the same spot on each finger because the fingers, the ends of them themselves are very different. The lengths of them are different. If I, if I, if I put my fingers on, on the, the strings and if I just let them sit like this, well, well then, then this finger is bit way too much this way around. This finger is straight on and this one is a little bit leaning. And so, so what will happen is that this finger will sound very dark. This finger will sound very bright. And so all three will sound very different. So the only thing I can really control is, is trying to simulate the edge to try to make that similar. And so that's why, that's why whenever you're looking at a classical guitarist play, often their index knuckle is kind of leaned inwards towards the top of the guitar. And it, and it kind of gives them to, to where that they can play on, on the same side of the fingertip or, um, or, or where the nail and the flesh come together. So, yeah. So, so, so we have, so basically, and, and the nail sits at the very, at the most intricate end of, of, a, of quite a mechanism. Because first of all, we have, we have our, we have our posture, we have our positioning of our arm, and then, and then we, and we have our placement. And then, and then the placement is where the, is where the magic happens, which is where the, 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 the flesh and nail make contact with the string. And then with pressure, they release the string. And so one, so one thing that has to really, really, be consistent for the placement to sound right and be consistent is that you have to make sure that 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 that, that the surface of the nail is always very fine and that there's never any ridges even on the side as far as up as you can go so you have to you have to get one of these colorful you know buffers you know oh, yeah. three-sided ones and then now, there's also and, uh, me and sally's view supply we're we're we're, we're tight we're good friends oh. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's and it's funny. Like I'll walk in there and I'll say, "Hey, I'll say, um, you know, can I get some accelerator and some mm -hmm. super glue?" And then, you know, or 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 I walk in there and they're like, "What do you need?" And I'm like, "I'm like, no, no, I, I know what I need. It's right over there." They're like, um, "What do you get?" And I'm like, "I'm like, oh, I know what it is. It's over here. It's the accelerator." And, the glue. And, and I and, that, and I go up to the counter and they're like, "You making model airplanes?" I'm like, "Yep, making model airplanes." I said, "All right, yeah. cool." You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they would never get it if I said, "Yeah, no, 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 I'm a class guitarist. What's that?" Oh, well, I'm a, you know, and then I just sound like a pretentious person explaining it to yeah. them. So, 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 but something I have to do though is that, is that I make sure that that when I'm, when I'm filing my nails, that I'm always just going in the same direction. That's very um, important because the nail fibers all all grow from the from the bed out to the ends. And if you go back and forth, um, if you if you looked at your nail edge from, from like a micro uh, surface, if this was your nail edge, you would have all these little fibers that go this way. So if you go back and forth with your file, you're kind of leaving them kind of spurred up, and your nail will never get fine. But wow. but if if you if you follow your nail on one direction, it kind of combs them over in one direction, and they and, and you don't hear them, and they don't burr as much, and they don't and they don't start coming apart as much. Um, so now outside of, yeah, yeah. So there's all, all kind of little, little things. And then just good old fashioned crazy glue is really good whenever, when everything breaks and, and man, breaking a nail, it, it does happen a lot. I mean, I, I mean, man, I fix my own cars half the time. If it's, if it's something I can fix I and mean, I try to feel like I'm manly enough to fix some of my cars and I, and, I, and I'll try to install the random ceiling fan. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not manly at all as far yeah, as no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I always call my dad, you know. And I'm like, I'm like so, so dad, so now how do I do this? He's like, all right, well, you need a, you need a this and a that, you know. I'll, I'll have him on Skype and he'll, he'll be talking to me through. And, um, and then I, I do some gardening, um, especially now that you know we're we're in uh, times like times like these, uh, April of 2020. Um, so, so anyways, I'm you know growing carrots and and romaine lettuce and tomatoes and stuff outside. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of my plants before my Skype lessons start. My online lessons have to kick off for the day. And, um, and then, and, and so anyways, but, but so the nails go through a lot and they go through gloves 
and, and, I, and I, and I can't get out of, you know, I can't get out of laundry and the dishes. So I gotta, I gotta no, be able to hit I mean, one. I, I mean, you can't say no to both of those. And, and, and right, right. You know, and then folding clothes. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty hard on the nails actually, cause they'll grab any, any threads, you know, if you're, re- if you have dress pants on, you reach in your back pocket where there's like a, where there's like a button, man, like that'll shear the, shear the nail right off your finger. You gotta be careful, you know? So, um, so I try to keep them smooth. And then if I have to, I'll, I'll use a little bit of super glue and, um, and, but, but, but I really try to try to be pretty easy with them. Um, and, and then something else I do is that every day I warm up, I do that, uh, pumping nylon warm up, yeah. you know, that, that, that daily warm up. I, I do yeah, that that's, every, that's actually my arm on the, on the cover there. Uh, I thought it was familiar, uh, man. Look at that, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. I see there is. I've had there. that joke for 20 years at least. That's, that's great. I love it. I love it. And, 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 uh, Oh man, so good. And and, 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 yeah, man, like, like I put the measurement on 50 and I start with that every day because, because, and, and the thing is, what I find is that with, 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 with finger style, does it get easier? And well, well, yeah, of course it gets easier eventually, but, but, but there, but man, but there's still a time that 6am is still 6am, you know? And, um, and if you got to play somewhere at 9am, say a special ceremony or something, I mean, man, it's really tough. So, especially if it's a winter morning, you know, and it's outside in Florida, in Florida, we actually have pretty cold indoor circumstances because most people will say, Hey man, put the thermostat on 65, you know, so you walk into a call into a hall and it's freezing, you know, cause you're like, man, turn off the AC, you know, it's okay. We can, we can have it at 70 and we'll be all right. You know, but, um, it's just kind of, it's kind of funny, but, um, but but so what what I have to find though is that every day I feel not every day I, I'm 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 doing a 20 day challenge right now I'm in day 19 of it whenever we sign off I'm gonna record the 19th Brower study and yeah. tomorrow I do tomorrow I do number 20 which will which will put put, put the end on that and I'm sure I I'm did sh- 11 of those like recital or something oh that's cool man the 11 I don't know which ones I did I did but it was fun. yeah man yeah yeah yeah, yeah man and they're and they're fun pieces they kind of show me a his language and I kind of get to bask in a little bit. It's, it's pretty fun. And, um, and, and I'll, and I'll find that, you know, now that I'm playing every day, it's, it's, it's a little, well, I'm playing, um, I'm recording every day. So, so my chops feel pretty good right now. Um, but, but sometimes though, if there's a couple of days where, where, where there's just too many adulting to do or too many homeowner things to do to get to it, then that, that, that third day when I, or fourth day, whenever I got to get back to it, I, you know, I, I really got to get ready for it. And that's the thing. The hardest thing is getting back on the saddle. The saddle is so hard to get on, get back onto, because I feel like, oh man, I'm a day away from even being warmed up. I'm two weeks away from being able to play that piece. I mean, like you know, like these are things that, that singer songwriters probably don't really worry about too much, you know, because they're they're probably worried about remembering their songs, and but 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 they they're probably also worried about you know being able to write their next song, you know, too, you know, like they say, um, comedians are always worried about writing their last joke, you know. Um, so, so anyways, just getting back on the, on the horse is a, is a difficult thing. So whenever, when I find that I need to do that, I, 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 I'm like, well, I got to get back into the club somehow. And I, I got to know the secret order to get into the club. I, I got to figure out how to get back into my guitar playing. And so also the metronome on something very slow, like 50 beats per minute, like that's probably 50 because I've heard it so many times. So now. And what, and what I'll probably, that one was too early, but what, but what I'll probably, what I'll do from there is that if that's too, if that's still too fast to, to do my pumping nylon left-hand walking warm up, I'll do every other note, click, click, note, click. And, and then, and then I'll find that I only have to do that really for like 20 minutes. And then I, and then I'm kind of back in, I can kind of start, 
I can start rooming about the cabin a little bit. I can start doing some other warm ups. I can start I can start getting a little digging in a little more. I also have to be very okay, get, is that on? It's it's right it's right in the dead center around sixty sixty one. It's okay. a daily daily warm up. Yeah, it's uh, the chapter's daily warm up, and um and it's really and that really kind of gets my hands reset again. And, and then and then yeah. I do do the do the right hand walking, which is really unusual because you're walking along the strings of the right hand alternating, you know, which is an unusual technique. And and so I, I just make that unusual technique part of my daily, and then it starts becoming easier. Yeah. And so um so so anyways um but but those are. If, if I don't do that, this doesn't really come together the same way. That, um, and, and the left hand used to not be any issue at all. But now I have a few moments where if, if I start pressing down too hard too soon, I'll, I'll, I'll pinch um, like a nerve at the end of my finger. And, and it'll give me like, like a little lightning bolt kind of sensation shock, which is because I, did, I didn't warm up the finger or the tissue around it. So I just got to be careful. I was um, – you know, like I, I, I went to play a, a trio gig one night at a wine cellar right after work. And I, I hadn't practiced all day, and it was like an eight-hour day of uh, teaching classes. And and, and and I remember like you know, like our first song was Little Wing, and I, and I'm and, I, and I'm playing my flying V, and I hit that 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 D and bend it up to E for the solo, and it, I felt like a lightning bolt shot through my hand because I wasn't warmed up, and my and, and my pinky every time I touched a string with it for the rest of that four-hour gig felt like I was you know, touching like electricity with it every time it hurts so bad. So, so I realized I'm like, man, I got to take care of my left hand all these years. I thought I had it made with my left hand. I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. It'll, it'll, it'll work itself. Well, well now I have to kind of be careful about how hard I press or I'm, I'm going to kind of do, do a little bit of damage. So I just squeeze my, yeah. So I, I squeeze my fingertips to get the blood going to them, to get the tissue moving to them. And then what that does is it actually, it actually makes them feel much better. And then, and then whenever I do my left hand walking exercise, I'll actually try to see, if I can actually just make the notes buzz when I first play it to see if I can play that light and to see if I can controllably make them sound like they're buzzing, you know, like it, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of unusual to, to try to fret every note and make every note buzz. And when you do that, you're like, Oh, I'm barely pressing down. So then, so then a clear note is like, you know, like 1% effort more than a buzz note really. And then you find out, Oh, I've been pressing down way too hard for way too long. You know, so, 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 but, but and it happens with with, with both hands, and so and so I, I try to be real gentle with my hands. I don't try to play anything too fast, too soon. Um, and but but then I but, but then I'm not so gentle that I don't you know. Um, I mean I, I try to exercise, you know. I try to do push-ups and stuff like that, you know, if I can. Um, just to just to you know because I, I spend so much time um, in the capacity of sitting and and and, uh, and listening and teaching and, and practicing and such. You yeah. Know? Now did Bill did he ever show you the uh, uh, the French rap method? <laughs> Oh yeah, stuff. You're like, right. I, I did it for years. My mm -hmm. wife is like, Nathan, what are you doing? And like, I'm doing my nails, Alicia. Leave That's me alone. right. That's right. <laughs> so like, you basically, for those who don't know, silk wrap or French wrap, you can get it at Sally's. It's just like this little. You can cut them out. It's got a, a sticky back, so you stick it onto the nail, put the super glue on, hit it with the uh, activator, let it dry, and then you just start buffing. Yep. And it, it gets it's great. smooth as glass. And, yeah, but my problem, I mean, same as you, like you're, you're folding clothes, you're working on cars. Uh, I was doing all that stuff even, well, even a few years ago when I was working at the warehouse, mm -hmm. uh, just doing odds and end jobs mm -hmm. and I would, I would go to reach for something and like, it would hit the nail just right. And like the glue would come off. Yeah. You have to go back home, super glue it back on. Like, and then it really every few days you have to take it all off and redo it. I'm like, 
hours. This is a lot of work. <laughs> hours. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. Even, I wasn't even playing or practicing fingerstyle all that much. Yeah. But just the, but just to have the opportunity to do so and to have your nails is like, well, I got to keep doing it for my nails so I can practice. It's like, Oh yeah. I, I, I just can't do it anymore. So I actually have a, a nail system that I received uh, last summer. Oh, really procrastinating because I hadn't done a review on it yet. Um, if they if they are if they are uh, listening to this, I'm guys. I'm getting right on it. I'm going to do it here soon. Nice. Um, but but it's called Tiptonics. Oh, yeah. it's a uh, a, a Delrin uh, material. Wow. They, they kind of just put over your natural nail. Yeah. And there's a sticky part on the material itself that mm-hmm. it sticks onto your nail. And then, um, and one issue that, that I can see happening is like it's a little bulky on the edge. Uh-huh. So what you're talking about having the nail go down to where the, the nail and the skin meet, that's yeah. going to be a little different. You have to kind of really probably file and shape it wow. a little bit more. Yeah. But if you're in a pinch to where oh, if you yeah. break a nail, you can just slap that sucker on there. Yeah. Now you got something that actually feels really natural, sounds pretty natural. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Real yeah. nail, and you don't oh, have yeah. to go get a like an acrylic nail put on or. Oh like yeah, which is stuff. yeah, which which those are horrible. Really, acrylic nails will just dissolve your existing nail, you know, and they'll, they'll right. really just weaken it. So yeah, so yeah, I can see. And and then I used. Um, I had a student that used, um, you know, the um, comb binding that we use for to bind books, like plastic uh-huh. binding. Yeah. Well, he f- he found a supplier of clear uh, comb binding, and, yeah. and 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 so so you don't have to worry about putting white or black, you know, binding plastic on your nail, and and, and he would use that because because it's already bent, contoured almost like a nail, and uh-huh. and, then, and then he can kind of bend it a little bit to flatten it out a little bit more, bend it more to make it more concave if needed. And, and and then and then he would set that on top of his nail and um, and glue that and do the super glue and the accelerator and um, and so I did that when I first started playing steel string um, with, with the with the with the technique because I, I I didn't really want to play steel string for a lot of years because I was I was like well I don't want to ruin my nails also oh, um, yeah because it will you know, it'll, it'll destroy it, destroy them yeah and and the thing is is that I I didn't realize that there was that there were finger style steel strings at the time either. I was just kind of oblivious to it, you know, I'm in this world, 98%. Right. And, um, and, and so anyway, so what, what, I, what I, um, I didn't know that there was finger style Martins. I didn't know that the triple O's were more like classical guitars or double O's were more like classical guitars, 12 fret class, uh, acoustics. I didn't really know that was a thing. So, so I, I, so I, I learned more about that and, and I, and I found, Oh man, there's, there's Martin guitars that are very similar. Um, I'll, I'll grab it really quick because it's right across the room, and yeah. um, and um, so so it's a very similar instrument uh, to a classical instrument. In fact, when they were first when they were first made in in 1919, um, they were they were made for gut or steel strings. Oh yeah, um, look at that. That's cool. You know, yeah. So it has a slotted headstock, which I like the way it puts the angle on the string coming back that way. It's also easier to tune. I don't put my arm sideways to tune it. You know, it's. I, I love tuning these kind of headstocks. If I had, if I had an electric guitar with a slotted headstock, I would love it, you know. But um, and then and then the and then the uh, 
the nut isn't quite as wide as as the classical, it's, but but it's wider than like a dreadnought. So a dreadnought's like a electric is like a one and eleven sixteenths. Yeah. This is um this is one and thirteen sixteenths, and some would even argue it's one and seven eighths. Um, some of them are one and seven eighths. So and then and then the spacing is is a little wider here. I think it's two and um, it's a two point two five, I think, or something like that. So so and then um. And then I put some stainless steel frets on it that are like a medium, like more of a, of a tall fret, more tall, narrow. My yeah. classical has, has more of a tall, fat fret, which is uh, good for the big scale, but, but these are more tall, narrow stainless steel. It's a different sound than nickel. It's a little brighter, a little zingier. Right. Um, and but they um, don't wear out as much either. Like you don't know in the frets or any of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, and so whenever I started playing this, I was originally putting like elixir strings on thumb picks and I was gluing on plastic and I was trying to play real loud and everything. And I was just destroying everything. I mean, I was, I, I was, I was, I was destroying my nails. I was creating fungal problems by having moisture trapped in between these hot, humid Florida days. And then the guitar really wasn't wanting heavy 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 strings on it and so one day i thought man let me just put the silken steel strings on it it's what people really like to put on these guitars and 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 i'll just be okay with it not being a cannon if it's not a cannon mm-hmm. and, I, and so I, I put another k and k in it just like just like the other guitar has a little more volume wheel in the inside and and they're your typical straps placement so it feels a lot like the other one a little bit bigger in the body if I if I if, if I would have done it over again, I probably would have gotten a double O instead of a triple O because I, I then I could have used I could have bought one flight case and put both guitars in it, you know, or whatever. But whatever, I, I you know you know you live so the triple O is like smaller than a double O. Like I said, is it the smallest body it's, Martin has? It's the biggest of the small bodies, <laughs> so okay. it goes to 15 inches from from the widest bit of the lower bow. Oh, Towards okay. my. Towards my classical guitar is about 13 and a half, you know, which is like a, an, a almost like an O size, you know. So, so, so I, I probably would go for an O or a double O uh, next time around if if I was to do that, just just have a smaller guitar. I, I'm actually liking the the shoulder position of a smaller guitar, you know, having my shoulder yeah. lower. And yeah. so, but um, but what I liked about this is that this gave me a chance to do a lot of cool little little things. Um, it, it gave me a chance to use that kind of layered um, approach of finger style that I learned from classical guitar on steel string. I got a chance to work on nail placement and tone. Once I, once I switched out of using phosphor bronze to using silk and steel strings and just allowing the guitar just to be what it naturally wants to be at the volume it wants what, to be. What brand of, of strings is it? Man, I'll tell you the ones I like the best are the labella, labella silk and steel. Silk and steel. Yeah. So, so, so basically, so they're just regular acoustic strings, but they're like a certain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So basically, like a phosphor bronze strings. Phosphor is um, is simply wrapped around nickel, right? Like a hex core nickel. Oh that, yeah. Okay. So, so these are actually a a nickel wrapped like an electric like like electric strings are nickel wrapped around steel. These mm-hmm. are these are nickel or or they call it steel nickel wrapped around. Um, silk, like literally silk from like a spider. Interesting. And so they're so they're, they they sound halfway between a nylon string and a steel string. Okay. And so and so they have a pretty warm sound. Um, since the since the mic sounds kind of weird, um, but but I, I do have a I do have a thing or two on my Spotify playing some steel string as well. Yeah. Anyways, it has a lot of sustain, which I really enjoy a lot. It's a little bit more sustained, a little chimier than than a, than a nylon string, and. Um, and I can still play most of the repertoire on it. 
Um, of course, my pop standards sound way better on this, or they pop out way more, I should say. My 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 swing and jazz tunes kind of swing a little bit more with the kind of sound of a steel string. Um, and then if I go into any dad, gad, or open tunings, they're really fun too. It just kind of has a sound. It's like a new fretboard to play with. It's like a new yeah. new set of games, you know. And so and so I really enjoy open D, which is also called uh, um, what Piedmont tuning. Um, and then and then I and I also um, enjoy dad gad and also um just a couple other modified tunings that that, that are pretty fun outside of the so if you wanted a traditional acoustic sound you wouldn't use those strings right or would you i mean right it's just different i mean i've never heard them really or even yeah it, um they're, they're a little bit more mellow but they still have that little zing that you would have from a steel string but they're okay. more mellow so they so they have a little bit more of a i don't know if you could hear it here but so, so. I don't know if it sounds like anything on that. Yeah, end. it's still it's still kind of glitchy. But yeah, oh, we'll, sorry. Uh, sorry. If you have that. like a, if you have a clip or something, I could I can interject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, what that sounds like. Yeah, I have a little dad gad clip. So yeah, so and, and so, so so what I like applying to the steel string there are all those cool techniques from classical guitar, like the sequential plant, um, the full plant. Those things still work amazingly well. Um, playing Bach works amazingly well on a. I like steel the string. Uh, I like the Robert Plant technique myself. Oh yeah, and okay. Robert. that's amazing yeah so so yeah so i um yeah so i really enjoy it the only thing that's really weird about this guitar is the v-neck at the back it's got Mm -hmm. a v-shaped neck yeah and that's a little it's a little different i know why it's there now i I didn't understand at first but but i know that it's for like finger style blues players when they want to bend they've got like a almost like a fulcrum right here to to bend again so i mean i mean I, I can really see that if i had a telecaster with a shape or a strat i'd probably be really more inclined to bend even more um and uh so, so yeah so so then what i play on this i play fiddle tunes i play um folk music i'm gonna start a couple new hashtags just to kind of shake things up for my right. my own instagram a, a folk music friday or folk song friday a target tuesday a, maybe a metal Monday or something, you know, and, um, just to kind of shake it up a little bit and, um, and, and, and just, and, and just, and just continue the, the, the search and the, and the journey. But yeah. But, um, but, but, but this is what I play. Um, most of the folk songs, um, on that I play most of the Celtic stuff is played on this. Of course, Celtic stuff sounds great on, on nylon string too. Yeah. Jazz, jazz sounds great on nylon string too. You know, it's that warm sound. So, so I, I feel like I, I cover a lot of bases, bases with, with these two. And then I have a go down uh, Fifth Avenue arch top that I have with a, um, I've got the P90 on it. And I also have a, uh, a K&K pickup under the arch top bridge on that. And I play polka music for uh, Oktoberfest with, with a, with a, a, a accordion virtuoso. And, go. uh, and so, and so he and I, we wear lederhosen and we do a full Oktoberfest show, like, like literally roll out the barrel, you know, and it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, um, drinking, German drinking songs. And basically like we would, 
you know, we, we played Tampa Oktoberfest and New Rocks Beach Oktoberfest. We're supposed to play Panama City Oktoberfest. We'll see if they still collect, um, if, if we're going to be gathering in September or not as, as, right. uh, you know, masses. And, um, right. so anyway, so, 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 so that's all. So that's, that gives me a chance to play a little bit more of a gypsy jazz style and play a little we're bit gonna, of Django. We're going to need to see a picture, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, man, I need, you, I need you to send me a picture of the Lederhosen so we can check this out in full. I definitely will, and, and man, and, and, and I'll show you when, when I when I play that stuff. There's two picks that I use that I really love a lot, and I'll show you these picks because they're awesome. And one of them is made made by one of your neighbors over there. But anyways, this is the Vagan pick or Wagon. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's, and it's and it's like about a three millimeter. Yeah. And then I have the V pick Psycho. Yeah. Man, what a I great got... pick. Uh, nice uh, dimension. Yep, yep. That's a good one. That's that's was, a pretty fat one. I'm pretty yeah. sure I was at the Nam show a few years ago, and I got some of these. And it's a funny story. I don't know if you want to hear this or not, but I'm going to tell it to you. Anyway. <laughs> when uh, when Feedback Revival toured Europe, uh, I think we were in Spain playing one of our shows, and I had I had these picks. They're like twenty dollar picks. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. 15, twenty bucks, whatever they are. Yeah, yeah, and. I don't know why I brought them to Europe, but why not? We were playing the show. I had some picks down by my pedal board because, you know, when you drop a pick, you need to have another pick somewhere. And at the end of the show, like, all but one pick was, like, gone. I'm like, some Spaniard took my pick. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. But you know, I think I think this is the only one I have left. I don't, I don't yeah. know anything else I have. But um, yeah, I mean they're cool. They're now supposedly when your finger warms up, they're supposed to be like kind of sticky. Yeah. I never I never got that sensation with mine. I don't know what doing anything wrong or something or what. But I don't mm. know. Any, any yeah. secrets? Any secrets to the V picks I should know about? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, like I will, I had the insanity one, the one that's really thick. And, and, and so the whole idea of having a, a thick, you know, a, a very large pick like that is, is, is really, if you take your hand and where it normally wants to fall open, mm-hmm. um, you you know, like, like some players will actually measure what that is and they'll, they'll measure how many millimeters that is and try to find a pick that fits into that. You can't even fix clear. You can't really see it, but, but right. it kind of fits into that groove. Yeah. And, um, and then it's supposed to make it to where you don't have to hold it as hard. And then, and then as your body temperature goes around, it's supposed to warm up, which, 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 which I do feel some tackiness from it whenever I do that. Okay. Um, and, and um, so, but, but, but maybe my hands are hotter and uh, temperature wise. I'm not sure. It, it, it could, I'm sure there's a, a, you know, some other contributing factors. Um, but, 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 but I found that um, it really made for like gypsy jazz playing for, for, for using it, the back and forth action. It was very, it was a lot easier to hold it and hold the pick loosely while still doing that type of thing. And that, that was a lot of fun um, with the polka, uh, you know, you know, band or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, and which most of that, most of, most of those songs are just uh, one, five, one, and then it goes up a fourth and it goes up another fourth and sometimes another fourth, you know, so you, so you play them weird keys. You play like F and B flat and E flat all the time. Oh. Um, a, a flat. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But, but the accordion player, you know, he was, he is this young virtuoso and he was just like, blah, 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 you know, just all, all through it, you know, just, just, just could rip everything apart. And it was really something to behold. But, um, but anyways, you know, so I, 
I, I use the Arch Top for that. And then I and then I haven't really had too many applications for my electrics lately. Um, yeah, you uh, still have all the electrics, right? You didn't sell them. I or do. Anything? I did. I, I didn't oh, sell oh, them. Okay. I, I didn't. I didn't sell them. So I, I still have them. And um, and there'll be a few projects that that that'll um, require them later. I, I'm not, you know. Oh, that's a pretty one. Here's my. Yeah. Uh, I, I in the past few years, I have discovered Reverend guitars. Yeah. And they're out of Ohio. They're not made in America, but you know what mm -hmm. guitar is right. these days. Right. But, no kidding. Um. But I was I was I did a video a few weeks ago, about a month or so ago, on uh, the Fender Player Strat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a great guitar. Um, but at the time I was working at Guitar Center, so I got a good discount on it. But I was like, but I was on the Reverend site and I saw that they had a Strat style guitar. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep it all in the Reverend family. I'm going to return the you know, Player Series Strat. I'm going to get this. And this is avocado green. Yeah. <laughs> it's a super yeah. cool. Yeah, and, I mean, it feels, I mean, I've had 30 different amps, 20 some odd different guitars over the years. The Reverend guitars for me, they just feel, they feel great. They oh, sound yeah. great. And you, you see them on all my YouTube videos whenever yeah. I'm demonstrating like a head rush or an amplifier or something. Very um, cool. But yeah, I mean, just look at the the back of the neck there. It has like a little bit of cool wow. to it. Really yeah. Crazy. Beautiful finish, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just love, I love Reverend guitars. So, yeah. But, wow. But very going, cool. But going back to the nail thing is like, since I never could really get my nails really in shape the way they should be, like I just kind of gravitate more towards electric guitar. Sure. Uh, that, that's just the kind of world I like being in. But I still yeah. love playing finger style stuff and uh I've, I've written some tunes over the years i uh, my main goal probably i need to make a goal before this before the summer i need to release some finger style stuff i've written nice uh, just, to have, just to have it out there yeah and um but yeah I, i'll need to i need to get back into my pumping nylon book and and uh, yeah. do some even if it's like 10 minutes i t I, I, t I tell my students all the time it's like look if you got five minutes in a metronome, you can work on something. Oh yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. Well, well, I yeah. In in case in point, you know, like with these with these challenges that I have every day of doing these Brower studies, I'm um, you know, like I'll, I'll often have to face, um, you know, it's it's a it's quite a challenge because what I have to do is I is, is I have to literally learn a piece of music in a day. And oh, record wow. it that that night. That's what the challenge is, and I do it twenty days in a row. Now, the first five I taught, you know, for years. First six I taught for years. So those so those were pretty easy. I, I might have recorded those in one day, and I just released them one day at a time. But then from the seventh one now to the twentieth, I'm having to learn them every single day, and I'm and then I'm having to record them that night. And That's so crazy. I have to so so I have to be very very creative because yes, so I yeah so it takes me it's about a three hour venture um, from when I start the piece. And, and, I, and I start and I start practicing it. It's a, I mean, like I say, three hours, three hours plus thirty years, right, of playing. So I mean, oh, you know, totally, yeah. I mean, I mean, so it all, you know, it all adds up to one magical it, moment, right? Right. You know, <laughs> and, and and so and so what I had to do with every one of these is I since I, since I had to really budget budget myself three hours, especially if I'm teaching for ten hours a day, a ten hour a day, man, it's really hard to get up there and 
sit in that same position three more hours and try to get those takes right, you know, and, and, and then every once in a while the, the AC kicks on, I'm like, Oh, let me, let me wait, wait a few minutes for it to kick off. And then, and then I'll do and something else will happen. I'm like, All right, you know, and so, so typically about three hours, but every piece has something that's kind of weird. And this one had this measure oh, and this is, and, and I was like, okay, so where's my, once again, my way in, what's my way in, what's the lowest common denominator. And if you see, I just started writing over where the beats should be. That's four, four time. And then those groupings are each a beat um, with the exception of beat four, which is split across seven divisions. But anyways, so, so I, I had to wonder like where the, where the first 16 was and then how the, how, how that's followed by an eighth note. That's, that would be where the second two 16 notes are. And then there's the, there's the last 16th note. And then we have, you know, the, the, the four divisions on the beat two, which we have triplet, triplet, and then the last two are tied as one or, or an eighth note. Right. And, and, and so, and so I just had to find a speed that I could somewhat get into that at, you know, cause I, cause I knew, well, I can't, I can't just say, I don't feel like it. You know, cause I said, no, I'll, I'll accept the challenge. And, and that's the definition of a challenge is it has to be challenging, you know, and, and 20 days in a row of learning a new piece and uploading it is a, is a, is a, I don't know if I'll do it again like that. I mean, of course I can't do those again because I've already done them. Right. You know, right. so it, it wouldn't be the same challenge, but, um, but it, it's been a, it's been a fun challenge because I, I have to be okay with it by the time I, by the time before I go to bed, you know, and that's not something I was, you know, classical music doesn't train you to have a song done in a day and go to bed and sleep. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, that, that should be a few weeks. That should be a couple months. And, um, but I think though that over time, as I play thousands of gigs over the years, uh, you know, like, um, up until last year, I was doing about, about a hundred gigs a year. And, and I, and I, and that was, a, that was since about maybe 2010 or so. So almost 10 years of that. And, um, and then I started scaling it back. I started saying, no, I don't do those kind of gigs anymore. I don't want to do this kind of gig anymore. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do any more beach, any sun, any more sunset ceremonies. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting sunburned left and right. And, uh, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to go out like that <laughs> kind of thing. So, but I was always having to learn the song of the summer and make arrangements. And after a while you can get song of the summer out, you know, cause after a while, you know, you're, you're learning a song for a season and then, and then you got, and then that song's not timeless enough to hold itself throughout the year. So you're, so you're, you, you learn the like, next, like Justin Bieber songs or what Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. Okay. So, so, um, the, the first weddings I ever did were when I was like 18 and 19 years old and it was like Pachelbel's Canon and D yeah, you know, very okay. common, classic. but then, oh yeah, classic. But then, uh, but then come around 2010 to 2012, like, it seemed like it seemed like brides started asking for a lot other different things, and that's by the time that those Twilight girls got old enough to get married, and they want to have that Twilight song played, and and then and then and then there's a thousand times or ten thousand yeah, years, a thousand years, years yeah. thousand years, yeah, yeah whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and so, man. Every time every time uh, you know a young bride says, "Oh, I would like this," you know, I'd be like, "Ah, I'm going to do so much work to get that done," and then I'm going to play it for thirty seconds. She's not even going to hear her. She's, she's going to be, you know, focusing on, on, you know, since they're having the, their wedding outside, they're going to be focusing on, on the wind and sweating and the sun and maybe mosquitoes. I don't even know whatever nature throws at us. The last thing that they're going to pay attention is the 30 seconds I'm playing this where I, I got to taper it off as soon as she stops walking. Um, you know, like I, I just felt like I was bidding myself out, you know, you, you know, you know, learning all these tunes for all these weddings. And after a while I thought, man, I can really 
lose myself in this. I can, I can just right. chase the next song of the summer and just always say, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep arranging every Ed Sheeran song that comes out, you know, and all that. But man, I mean, you know, but, but, but then in, but then in five years, no one's going to ask for that song ever, you know, and, and, and then they'll never ask for it again, you know? And, and so, so that, so that was more costly to, you know, during that amount of time, you know, if, if you think from a business perspective. So, um, but having to, so, so I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time doing them. So I started kind of doing them a couple of days before. And, and eventually after I did a hundred or, or so weddings, I, I would listen to the track and I'd be like, yeah, I can, I can put that together the, the morning of, I, I won't worry about that. I can, you know, and, and, and it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to deliver this amazing performance, you know, uh, from, from, from the morning of, but, but I could deliver the melody on a silver platter for the amount of time that I needed to get it across for the bride to just stop at the end of the altar and I taper off and disappear, you know? And, um, so, uh, so, uh, that, that kind of prepared me there for learning quickly. And also I sight read all day with my students. I'm always looking at music, you know, 10 hours a day, just about I'm sight reading with my students. So, um, a lot of this, uh, so this Brower, this 20 day challenge, I'm on day 19 of, um, it's, um, luckily it's using all those cumulative experiences and, um, and that, and that's where that, that's where that technique, uh, that warm up every day for 20 years, uh, feels, feels good. Um, because it's, it, it applies to those, um, to those studies. Um, and, and so, and so, yeah, so, and then, and then next week I'll, I'll, I'll start something else to start doing something else to reach out to everyone and, and, and post more as well, you know? Well, that, that really, I guess kind of solidifies the whole uh, conversation here. And really what the goal of my website here in the last probably two years has been is this concept of creating a confident musician. And really I has a, a, like a doc talk series. I would kind of sit down in front of a camera and talk about different stuff. But I really in the last year, my main desire was to have conversations just like this, talk with another musician and, I think when other people hear your journey and like your struggles and your successes, that gives them more confidence to then yes. go out and then, you know, just kind of puts the uh, puts them at ease. It's like you don't have to have it all figured out. Right. Exactly. Nobody, nobody has it figured out. Oh no. We're all just yeah. flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> With, exactly. And and man, yeah. and like, and, like and, and there's times during those performances where. Where like you know, and, and I'm like, oh yes, the finger did not give out. It held just long enough, you know. And then someone will watch, and, and someone will watch, it and, and they'll say something, oh man, flawless, or or they'll say, man, you know, you, you did this or this. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I was, I was hanging on by the seat of my pants in some of those moments, just just trying to stay focused through them. But I have to say though, you know, just just that whole thing of reaching out and and, and to help create uh, confident musicians, that is that is such an important goal. And I find that with my older students that come to me, um, they'll, they'll ask me, they'll say, so what's the difference between an amateur and a pro? Because there's a lot of good amateurs, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, but what's, what's, what's the main difference? And I said, well, have you ever seen the pro musician on the stage where someone's like, oh, I can do that, you know? And then someone else will kind of, you know, you know, you know cattily say to them, oh, yeah, but you're not kind of thing, right? And... Um, and, and I think that the professional finishes a bit more than the amateur. They finish, you know, they, they finish learning the song. And, um, and even if that song is a, is a, has a, has some, some kind of just mundane guitar part, um, they count it out. 
they count the 16 bars. They count the fourth beat. They listen to how the third beat sits there with the first beat, even if they're playing something simple. Um, and, and it can just be what it is. The guitar doesn't have to be all these things. It, it can just be what it is. The, the guitar part can be the guitar part. It can, um, you, don't, you don't have to redefine a, a piece whenever you play it. You just have to play the piece. It's pretty good. You know, like the, the, um, the, the band leaders, you know, you know, they always tell bass players, they always say, hey, man, just play the song. Just play the song, you know, and, and, and I mean, like a solo or anything like that, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I think that we uh, we get caught up in the gymnastics or what we can't do. And we and we try to minimize ourselves with that. And um, but in reality, everyone has has some kind of shortcoming. You know, um, I remember whenever we were we, we were we were sitting at Bill's house uh, after Anna Vitovic's concert. Were you around for that? The guitar uh, yeah. Festival? yeah, I was there. Okay. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Right, she's amazing too. Beautiful. She, she's, uh, she's got everything. 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 Yeah. The, the world is her oyster, and she's amazing. And um, and at Bill's house, um, we were we were passing around a guitar or something, and I, and I and I played a little flamenco thing that I learned from Juan Marina Moreno uh, over here in one of those expensive lessons where he didn't write down anything. Um, and, and and she was like, oh, like what's what's that? And I said, oh, I said it's a little bularias that I play around. And she's like, oh, cool. Is that written down? I'm like, no, no, it's just something I kind of mess with. It's, it's kind of a pattern I improvise over. And she's like, oh, she's like, yeah. She, and I and I said, oh, do you ever improvise? And and, and she's like, oh, never, no, 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 no. Just like just like hands off, you know. Yeah. And and I and I think that um, I think that's a shame though. Not that I want to hear her improvise, but 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 I, but I think that we we shouldn't feel like um. We shouldn't feel like we have to be a a, a professional and and monetize and, and, and have to have the feeling of, of being able to say, oh, I want to be able to monetize this the skill I have. You know, we can we can refine skills in our own interests, and we can just enjoy yeah. the the path to that. You know, well, that's and, what uh, my uh, uh, um, two year college the the Sneed State Jazz yeah. director always told us is like. The difference between an amateur and is a professional is the professional gets paid. Yeah, without a doubt, without okay. a doubt. I mean, totally. Yeah, yeah I, I could get that. But I mean, that's that's kind of where where I want to try to gear, you know, uh, lead people to. It's like whether you're the guy just playing acoustic guitar on the back porch, playing to the right. frog, right? Or you're or you're playing in front of ten thousand people or millions of people. Yeah. In, in a huge stadium, it's like yeah. You can have just as much confidence playing on the back porch as you can playing in front of millions of people. It's just you have to put in the work. You have to yeah. practice. You have to be prepared for those right. situations where you are in front of the big group and you're yeah. doing oh, the yeah. thing. But it's like that's what I love about your story is like you start off young, getting the magazines, training oh, yeah. the bands. Uh, pursuing a higher degree of education through, you know, through college. Right and now, you're teaching other people the same mm-hmm. love of music that you have. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, to, to, to be to be in that position. And um, and really, I think that what I tell all my students, especially now, I also do a community college teaching job at, a, at St. Pete College, cool. and, um, and and a lot of students there are uh, retirees. And, and, and they're, they're um, retirees that play tennis and they go to class and they do things, you know, it's like a, it's kind of like a, it's like um, a paint class to them almost. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's great. And and then, you know, I always tell them and I, and I tell everyone, I even tell, tell the young, the younger ones too, I'd say, um, you have to just learn to be patient with yourself. 
you know, and, um, and, and just, and I, and I think that, um, and, and so someone will say, you know, yeah, but how did you get to wherever you are? You know? And I said, well, I said, I, I've just been patient with myself for a longer period of time and, and, and really, um, you know, like, like, and when I tell someone to practice something slow and it's that really slow one movement per click kind of playing where it's like, you know, you can't even recognize the tune. Um, it's not a life sentence to play that slow for that tune. Um, it just has to go through that channel before it gets a little bit faster. How long is that? Well, they seem to be more at ease when I tell them, so that'll take you 10 minutes to do it at that speed. And, I'll, and, and, and I'll, I want you to do it without a mistake three times before you add eight beats to it. Now, try to go through four speeds, which would mean that you'd have to spend an hour doing that. But then the next day after you warm up, start midway to where you, to where you worked up to and then try to go beyond where you went the day before. Yeah. And then, and then overlap, overlap. Yeah. And, and, and it just kind of made, you know, you're just kind of ironing the wrinkles out doing that. And, and, and I, and I said, and just, and just be patient with the process of doing it and it's okay. Uh, and, and, and they'll say, but, but do you really practice that slow? And I'm like, yeah, I, I really do. And I do that because it puts all the spaces where they all need to go. You know, if, if, if this is the eighth note, then I know that two of these is a quarter note. I know that four of these is a half note. And I have to put that mental spacer in there so I don't make that long note shorter, which will make all the shorter notes shorter, which makes everything rush, and then there's no groove. So, so even so, so you know, I've, I've, I've heard uh, non some of the blues musicians I was, I was talking about, and I'm not, I'm not naysaying any blues musicians, I, prom- I, I assure you, but they'll, but they'll say, um, it can be stuck up though. I mean, just admit it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I, and I had this particular guy, and, and and he was he was he was talking during a performance, so he was kind of shouting with a beer in his hand, and he, and he said, "Oh yeah," he said, "I said yeah, I, I tried to go to that college uh, HCC." He said, "But you know, the guy told me I had to play Bach, and it's like you know, and he's like he's like man, like Bach doesn't have any soul, man, you know." And, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh, man," I'm like, "I'm like, I, I wouldn't go there, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't." I wouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater and say Bach has no soul. Come on. Um, and the guy's like, yeah, but you know, but you know, but yeah, but everything's written with, I said, I said, man, that was 270 years ago. I said, I said, if, if he was born today, he'd be playing synthesizers and moogs and electric guitars. He'd be, he'd be doing all this stuff. I'm like, I'm like, he didn't have the luxury of a, of a recording industry and electricity and, and innovations of the instrument and the platform and the way it's dispersed. Yeah, I he said, had to write it down because there's no other, the, way, no other way to capture it. You know, because, because how would we know Bach if the last person that heard Bach played that knew Bach died? We would have no Bach, you oh, know? Sad. So and, sad. And it, oh, gosh. I mean, imagine all the melodies we wouldn't have the, you know, to, to, to hum along to, to steal, to challenge us, you know? Um, and so. And so, you know, like I, I, I try to offer a little bit of that perspective, but I, I probably just seem like a, you know, curmudgeonous old, you know, teacher or whatever. But, you know, but, but, but just to say, you know, hey, man, you know, like that was the only, that was the only source they had. And in grad school, I, I had, I actually had to find out to really appreciate notated music because I took a class that almost destroyed me that was called The Notation of Polyphonic Music from the Year 900 to 1750. And that class wow. made, made me, or it, it, yeah, it made me um, transcribe early tablatures, and I just want to show you what one of them looked like. Just, just, just to give you a, a clue. This is this is a no joke. And this it's on your phone, the, by the way. <laughs> it's crazy. 
What? You can't even so, read it. Yeah, it's a lot of focus. But anyways, so 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 yeah. So and and it was just an unusual class. I'll see if I, there's any clearer examples. And then other forms of tablature. And man, I realized that it took hundreds of years for music to look so cleanly represented on a staff. And I really appreciate that after now I saw the Now we have like Sibelius and like oh, Guitar yeah. Pro and whatever else is like, come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Piece of cake, man. And, 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 I, and by the way, I love Guitar Pro, man. It's a fraction of the price of those other ones. And man, there's yeah. so many things in that format. I use that with my students. They have it on their iPads, on their phones. They, they you know, put the tempo down to half speed and play along and they watch the cursor go to their note. Pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty good resource, you know. But I mean, but yeah, you know, so that's all they had. They, they, they had a feather and a in a in a, a bottle of ink, you know. And um, and so you know, it, it's really interesting, you know, because like whenever you see like you know box handwriting, you start seeing like you start seeing a lot of soul. You start seeing phrasing. You start seeing all kinds of things that kind of emerge out of out of out of his handwriting. You see. Um, you see phrase markings. Let me see if I can see any of it. If I can bring any of it up uh, up here. But anyways, you know. Um, but you know. But, but but these are all things that Bill made us read when we we're there. You know, these are tablatures that are with letters instead of numbers. A B C D for frets instead of oh, zero, right. one, two, three, four. Yeah. And then and then the Spaniards they had it down. They they used numbers like like we did. They put the rhythms above it. You know, yeah. so if, if they had a, um, except for the, their strings were flipped, up, uh, their uh, presentation was flipped around the other way. So it was oh, more like gosh. a mirror. It's like a mirror image, you know, like you had like your your six string was on top, you know, and, and then eventually they went in and they flipped it around and tried to make it look from low to high, you know, so it resembled right, right. some sheet music a little bit more. But yeah, but, you know, but it's it's just very it's very fascinating how um, how, how this, you know, handwriting. This is like, you know, you know from a Baroque composer, Henry Purcell. We, we can we can actually see in some of these cases how, how they would want things phrased by by even even though there weren't phrase markings then they would sometimes um, illustrate um, the phrasing with the two bars or the sixteenth notes you know they'd have them yeah. like that and such yeah you know, so so you kind of see them um, I also love I love how in the Renaissance there was like chord charts look at that you can see like oh, a D wow. chord A minor that's from the sixteen seventies you know. Alpha beta system is what it's called. So, so like these are all kind of different ways, um, you know, like the Baroque guitar, for example. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like like whenever I whenever I study this and explore this, I realize something about, about this instrument. This instrument was was made from from fifteen. Um, it, it was it was made in the fifteen fifties. Well, I should say a little bit later than that, but it was played all the way. It was played for almost 175 years before the guitar changed. This type of guitar, right. and it was illustrated in artwork all throughout the period. And um, and it's just pretty fascinating that that this style of, of guitar w- w- would just kind of just stick around for so long. That this style of guitar was around just as long as, as, the, as the versions of guitars that we know now. There's a very famous painting of a Baroque guitar. Yeah, you know, and so and. and and so it's really cool that that guitar existed and was being played for like 175 years, and 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 how and how those guitarists were were doing different strumming, they were turning into a percussive instrument, and it's just so cool to try to try to kind of think back to a a society that 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 would be wholly entertained by that, you know, and 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 how that was enough, and and to think, you know, how how eventually the um, German Marzell uh, made, made the metronome and how, how that became a standard. Um, how Hertz came up with tuning 
old man Hertz came up with the 440, you know? Yeah. And so, and so all those innovations, I mean, like it all, it all accumulated, you know, Nassau box, um, he, he has the, um, preludes and fugue for the well-tempered clavier because he wasn't sure what the real tuning was because it wasn't a 440 back then. It was still right. floating around. I only, so, I only play in 432 myself. Really? You know, I, I it's hey, just, it just gets my groove going, you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> interesting. Interesting enough that the Bavarian accordion that my accordion player plays with the polka band, it's a four, a four thirty two, And really? man, I love it. I love it. I, I, I got to say, I might, I might even convert everything else over to that because I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed singing with that too. But then and, you can um, play along with your favorite classic rock songs. I mean, that's, that's true, man. That's true, man. I, I, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of interesting how, how that, um, how that tuning has such a fatness to it, you know? And, um, and so, and, and how that influences how you play. You I, was, know, I was totally joking by the way. I'm sure you knew that, but I, I, I need to try playing 432 for like a week just to see if my ear like well have have you seen all the to it. i don't know it's weird yeah well there's a lot of articles on it right now and, and, and i and i and i thought it was unusual um it's and like then the it, sound but, of the universe or something it's like you're one with nature if you play in 432 versus 440 or yeah know. yeah 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 it's funny but yeah but but, but straight up like like by the, the kids in the accordion he said hey man we, we, we have to do a four a 432 and i said really he said, "Yeah, man, it's what all it's what all." Um, he said, "It's what all Oberkroner music is in." I said, "Oberkroner, what's that?" He said, "Oberkroner music." He said, "Polka, polka bands." He said, "Slavic waltzes, Slavic um." He and and and, they, and then like this kid, he lives in the world of polka. Oh yeah. So I mean, like I he mean, lives, like he he lives in uh, Sheboygan. Yeah, man. You know the Home Alone <laughs> quote. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, man. Oh, oh yeah. Sheboygan, where we just hop in the truck, you know. We are we are huge in Sheboygan. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Totally, totally. I love John Candy. Love John Candy. Oh my gosh, John Candy. Yeah. Uncle Buck. You know my my favorite. But but that's not Uncle Buck. Is that Uncle Buck or no? It is. Great. No, uh, Home Alone is the uh, is the polka thing. But right, right, right. Uncle right, Buck right, right. is he's flipping the huge like <laughs> five foot wide pancake or whatever. <laughs> uh, I love John Candy. Oh, I love I love the reference. Yeah, yeah, man. So so, so yeah, you know. So just yeah. There's a lot of articles on that, and it's it's very interesting how um. How tuning is how, how tuning works, what like that anyway? How it influences, but anyways, yeah, it's so much hoopla over four thirty two right now. I, I'm 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 still kind of buying into, it. but yeah, but 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 the singing, I, I felt like I felt like singing with it was easier, but I guess I don't, I don't even know. I, I guess those. Uh, well, eight, uh, eight I'm gonna have to do some more research on it, and maybe we can get together again sometime here in the near future. We can talk about yeah. all things four thirty two. That'd be fun. Yeah, man. Exactly. Exactly, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll, let's, yeah, all right let's, let's end it here. This is let's, let's wrap it up because I know you got to do some uh, some Brower stuff. But give <laughs> us give us a um, for the classical guitar uh, beginner. Like, where do you need to start? Like, give us a book we need to go look at, like some studies or etudes or whatever. And then um, give me the, what's your favorite like classic rock song? Just do those two questions. Right? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Like my, my, my one go-to for a beginning classical guitar student is pumping nylon. Definitely get that book. It, right. it gets you started. Um, it, it, won't, it won't give you the beginning tunes that you need to play, but, but it, it'll get you started with all the techniques that, that you would need. And then outside of that, our friend Roger Hudson has a fantastic method with a lot of modern pieces that also transfer to fingerstyle guitar that yeah. also have some jazz, jazz harmony. And so I've been giving that to a lot of my students. Uh, Roger Hudson's method for guitar. Fantastic. Cool. Right. Um, favorite classic rock song. That's, well, that's going to be a hard one. Um, 
and, and, and I've actually been listening to a lot of Hank Williams for the past six months, like everything he's ever done. Uh, Hank Williams Sr., the old man. He, he was, he's oh, like yeah. my, one of my favorite musicians. Um, and, then, and then I would say that, you know, like, 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 like what is a, a classic rock song that, that really uh, knocks it out for me? Wow. Man, I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's so massive. I mean, I love Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I love right. that song. I love what right. it is. Um, but, but then, man, I mean, I also love, um, man, there's so many Zeppelin songs that are great too, but, um, but, but let's, but let's cap it off with, I think Sergeant Pepper is about as good as I can get for, for, for a favorite classic rock song. Hardly any right. guitar playing in that. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I'm sorry that, 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 that doesn't sound like a, as good of a one does it now because the, the well, guitar playing is fine. I mean, this is what you like this, this but it's great. But 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 it but it hits me like a ton of bricks, man. You know, that's it's, all that it, matters. That's it's all a, that it's a, it's a singable melody, you know, and, and yeah. I think I think that's 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 what I like about it. Of course, Bohemian Rhapsody and things like that, you know, you know, big rock tunes, you know. But but yeah. I I think I think I think nothing just 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 hits out like that. Dun 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 da da dun da da. You know that that, that George's stratty tone on that coming in. It's so it's so gnarly. It's so like it's so treble boosted. It's so it's so nasty, but. But at the same time, it's 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 that. I mean, if that was a smooth tone, it wouldn't be that song. It wouldn't be Sergeant Pepper without that. You know, yeah, playing to so, like a Fender Twin or something like with the really yeah. high room tube amp. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't yeah. be the same effect. You know, yeah, man. And, and and Paul and Ringo just holding it out on that drone. Dun 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 dun. It's just so it's so powerful. You know, big um, uh, flourishes. You know, it's wonderful to be here. Certainly a thrill. All, all these things come in. Um, you know, like, you, you know, he's talking about stopping a show. Really would like to know singers going to sing a song and wants you all to sing along. I mean, I mean, just there's a, so many hype elements in that song, I think, that, that are just like, wow, how, how, how do you outdo that one? You know, but I'm, I'm sure someone will, someone out there will say, oh, there's this thousand songs you know, that do that. So, but, but that's, that's, that's my song in the moment, I think. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's that's great, Jamie. Well, I'm glad that uh, internet and social media has brought us back together. Yes, sir. Um, uh, my, my days at MTSU, I would not trade those for the for anything. I think no. it was a great experience. Um, and yeah, just just pleasure sitting with you again. Either yeah, even over Skype, it's just just as good. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'm 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 going to be inspired now to go work on my nails, get some classical pumping nylon stuff. Nice. And, nice. Uh, maybe I can play a tune and you can critique me or something. <laughs> oh man. Well, I would I'd happily listen to you anytime, man. And, and man, and, and just seeing your your page and, and what you're trying to do and your channel, um, it's a fantastic channel. I've subscribed to it um, uh, uh, over a year ago when you launched it. I just I, yeah. I love what you're doing. I love the mission. Um, and my students enjoy uh, y your head rush examples of creating chains, signal chains. So really good work you're doing there, man. I'm, I'm really honored that you wanted to talk to me and, and have me on on the podcast. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Well, go practice, Jamie. I know you got a lot of Brower stuff to do, and <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get it cut off here. So sounds good buddy all right all right nathan yeah yeah and my handler on instagram is this jimmy moore guitar and that's where all my brower studies can be found awesome nathan thank you all sir right, jimmy you have a good rest of your night and uh we'll talk soon thank you sir all right have a good night stay healthy all right see ya take care